get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So two, that's a right center. Acuna will get over to third easily. He's going to try to score. Throw to the plate late. one nothing Atlanta. Ground ball past the diving Donovan. Come on in, Matt Olson. 2 nothing Atlanta. This one to center. Carlson drifts back. Carlson at the wall. Gone. Three homers already on the year for Matt Olson. Obviously, we want them to be more efficient and get through the first inning without giving up runs and um, getting deeper in games. But we've gone around one time, and that's Miles' second start. We'll keep taking a look at it and go from there. All right, that audio courtesy of the Braves TV network. Unfortunately, not a whole lot of Cardinals highlights Three to it's throw all your way. Okay specifically on the pitching side of things. And that's where we begin today's show alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I've spent the last hour or so yelling at them so we can continue doing that yeah. on the air now. Everybody fully prepare because BK is about to get real angry. I got to be honest with you guys. I'm disappointed in Cardinals fans today. <laughs> that's the way to start it off. Start them off hot, BK. You guys are better than this. You're the best fans in baseball. You show up in droves to the stadium each and every time that there is a Cardinals game to go support your team. You believe in this squad. You love this squad. You put your hearts and souls into this squad. And after six games, six bleeping games, we're out here acting like Miles Michaelis is the worst pitcher in Major League Baseball. What the f***? I mean, Steven Matz seemingly has no history of being a quality starter in Major League Baseball. We're acting like Jack Cardinal, Flaherty but... is not just not an ace now. Now he's a guy that can't be a part of a rotation. Jordan uh, Montgomery. Technically. Who I think allowed. I'm, I'm on a roll here. Oh, I sorry. think allowed one earned run in his first like six starts in a Cardinals uniform. Now he's bad. He forgot how to pitch, man. I'm not out here trying to sell you guys that this is the best rotation in baseball. They very well may have a problem when it comes to getting through October. In fact, I would project that to be the case, and we've been talking about that all offseason on this show. But to suggest that they are going to have a problem with getting to October because they have no rotation right now, I think is laughable. The results have been awful. I can give you guys the numbers. 28th in ERA, last in batting average against, 29th in hard hit rate against. They have basically no swing and miss stuff, which we all knew was going to be the case this year. Like All of the evidence in the first six games of the season is contrary to what I'm telling you right now. I get that. I'm willing to concede that point. But we have evidence. 
of these guys being quality major league starters and i feel like people are taking crazy pills and it's as if they did the men in black flashy thing before the start of the season to pretend as if nothing had ever happened with any of these pitchers before and we've only seen them start six games in their mlb careers that's not the case because we can look back at the back of their baseball cards or their baseball reference pages to see what they've done in their history i, I think that we have gone way overboard in describing how bad this pitching is right now. It has been bad for six games. Projecting that forward and suggesting they're going to have like a 7 ERA this season, yeah, I'm not willing to do that. Feel any better right now? I needed to get that off my chest. Right, well, I do it's about feel to, like a weight has been lifted. It's, really. it's about to get real worse for you, buddy. Um, yeah. It's not so much that like people that would sit here and say that the pitching is a problem and the Cardinals are going to miss the playoffs. Those people are taking crazy pills because it's as Tony LaRusso likes to say so elegantly. It's the first bleeping week of the season. Uh, there are concerns for certain guys right now. And I understand it's one time through the rotation and I've said it. T-Bone has said it. You've said it like you give leniency. It's about three starts per starting pitcher before you sit here and really assess what they have. But Miles Michaelis, albeit he got through that one bad inning and tightened up the rest of the way and is now the only starting pitcher to give them six innings, which is surprising in itself. But he got, he's getting mashed. Like, that's a problem, specifically the first time through the lineup. And I get it was the Atlanta Braves. You know what? If he goes out there and dominates against the Cincinnati Reds whenever they play him, I feel a little bit better about it. But Jack Flaherty, although he's the only one that hasn't given up a hit, that was like damage control at an all-time high, like Armageddon hit the panic button. Uh, Steven Matz got hit around in that first time through the order. Jordan Montgomery got hit around that first time through the order. That's the problem right now. And my concern with it is all of these guys are pitch-to-contact pitchers. And yeah, it's probably going to get better from here, but did the shift change things now that they don't have that anymore for these guys? The fact that it's turning, it's resulting in like massive hits in terms of power with doubles and going out of the ballpark all at Bush Stadium, which is a difficult place to pitch. Like that's the narrative for this team is like, oh man, it's a tough place to hit. If you're a good pitcher, you're going to be able to have success here. It's concerning right now. And there are guys that I didn't think I'd have concerns with specifically Miles Michaelis and Jordan Montgomery. And there were others that I was going to have some question marks with. And right now they all stand. I, I'm not worried about it because there's weird ish that happens early in the year. Like Milwaukee's not five and they're five and one. They're not that good in, in this, this season. They're not going to be. I, I So I just look at this and I say every starter has rough outings. They're going to happen. The sad part for the St. Louis Cardinals, they've all happened when the first six starts. Like Miles Michaelis, I mean, you look at his numbers in his career because I, I, I agree with BK. Yes, there are question marks with this rotation as we get towards the playoffs. But right now, in the regular season, Miles Michaelis, career ERA, 3.77. He's now at a 9.64. He didn't suddenly become a 9 ERA pitcher. Jordan Montgomery, 3.86 in his career, 5.4 ERA through one star. He didn't suddenly become that guy. Steven Matz, 4.32 in his career, 6.75. He didn't suddenly become that guy. These guys are going to right the ship. It is just one of those where, yes, it has been loud contact, I think it's just a coincidence. It's leading to bad outings. Anytime there's a bad outing, there's going to be loud contact. Yes, they pitch to contact, but it is going to be one of those where it's they're going to have a handful of missteps, and they just all happen to be coming right now. And I think right now the only reason you're seeing that is because for whatever reason, their command is off right now. And these are pitchers that have not had major command issues throughout their career, so I don't think it's going to suddenly disappear. So 
I have no reason for concern yet. We get through 15 games, 18 games, and, and they're still struggling to have starting pitching issues, and these guys aren't going deep. Okay, then I'm willing to raise the red flag, and I'm ready to start sounding the alarm bells. Right now, I'm not concerned. I, I think everything is going to turn itself around here soon. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. From the 314, this is the kind of thing that bothers me. BK, stop it because you're embarrassing yourself. It's a good starting point. Uh, you did start off by saying the Cardinals fans, you thought they were better than this. I believe they are. This is too good of a fan base to make every start a referendum on the pitcher that is starting that day. It's okay to take into account the context of what that person has been. If we have a bad show, it doesn't mean we're bad radio hosts. Now, <laughs> despite <may> popular <laughs> belief, you may think we're bad radio hosts and therefore that day is just further supporting evidence. That is very possible. In fact, fair to say that, but... I don't think every individual show should be a referendum on you, T-Bone, me, or any other person that is on this radio station. I would suggest the same is true of that day's starter for the Cardinals. But anyways, let's continue here. BK, stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. The more you talk, you tell me what Steven Matz has done as a car or tell me what Steven Matz has done as a Cardinal. Don't tell me what he's done before then. Nothing about what he did before he got to St. Louis matters. Wow, nothing. I mean, it's true. I Did just with another team. vehemently disagree with that kind of analysis. And if that's how you want to look at it, that is fair. You can view sports however you want to. I went back today, Alex, before the show, to look at what Miles Michaelis, Jack Flaherty, Stephen Matz, and Jordan Montgomery have done over the last three seasons. So 21, 22, 23, the last three full seasons, and then including, I'm including, what they have done so far this year. When you combine those four pitchers, since the end of the 2020 season, they have thrown 920 innings. I feel like that's a pretty good sample. They have done so to the tune of a 3.7 ERA in those 920 innings. The Rays rotation, to put this in context, in that exact same stretch of time, has a 3.7 ERA as a staff. That is seventh best in Major League Baseball. So four of the five starters that are currently in your rotation, 21, 22, and then the first start this year, have the same exact numbers as the Tampa Bay Rays pitching staff. Guys, if I told you right now, hey, you can sign up for what the Rays have been over the last two full seasons with their pitching staff, would you sign up for that? Every one of us would hit the button as quick as humanly possible. And that's basically what you have from these guys over the last couple of seasons. Now, I'm not pretending as if things have not looked bad. They absolutely have. They've looked horrible so far. But I do not believe Miles Michaelis is suddenly going to get bludgeoned to death by the likes of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I do not believe that Jack Flaherty is suddenly a bad pitcher who has zero command and is going to walk the world every single time that he goes out there. I also don't think he's going to throw no hitters every time that he goes out there. Steven Matz is not a bad pitcher now. I thought that his swing and miss stuff looked pretty good the other night. Got hit too hard. Needs to get a little bit more command. I think that'll come around. Jordan Montgomery, Alex, that's your guy. We love Jordan Montgomery. He was great after he got to the Cardinals uh, in a Cardinals uniform last year. We were talking about potentially extending him all offseason. After one start, he is not a bad pitcher. Do they have real questions? Yes, absolutely. I'm conceding that point. But those questions arise in October. This is a staff that can get you through the regular season. 
and we don't need and i'm like old man yelling at clouds here we don't need to have a football mentality for the baseball starts like every football game is a referendum on that team that coach that quarterback that has somehow now been translated and i think it's again old man yelling at clouds here i think part of it is social media because we see so much of it and everybody has an instant reaction to every play much less every game and so it feels bigger than it actually is man at this point in time we are six games into a 162 game season we have seen for most of these guys one of their 30 starts this year that is not just a small sample size that is minuscule compared to what we are going to see from them over time I would be willing to bet a large sum of money. And I understand I'm a bad sports better, but I would bet a large sum of money that these numbers by the end of the season will not all be in the bottom three in Major League Baseball, which is where they stand right now. The only problem that I have with all of this is, and again, I know it's the beginning of the season and this could change when you're playing these same teams in September and October, but you're right. It is two different stances of playoff performance and regular season performance. And albeit the bad struggle that they had through the first rotation, it's not going to hinder them making the playoffs. But... I mean, these are the teams you're supposed to be able to be competitive against. And that is a problem for me. And somebody texted on our air comfort service text line saying, yeah, but you went up against the two best offenses to start the season. Absolutely. And I would have expected a little bit more against those teams. See, I I think I understand that argument and, and I'm not saying you're wrong there. But I would hear that argument more if it were. No, I, I would. <laughs> like, I'm not going to come uh, on the radio I, after they sweep the Pirates I, I, and the pitching staff's awesome and be like, all right, they're back. I have to apologize. I just did a BK for a second there. <laughs> uh, but I, I would hear that argument more if it were June. If we were in June, July, and they, it was like, whoa, this team just got swept by the Braves at home, and the Braves just beat but the snot out of them. I'm not looking at it them. being swept by the Braves. I'm looking at it pitching against competitive but no, lineups. But, but here's what I'm getting to is. It's the first week of the season, oh, as TLR would tell us. But no, I, I think these first, like, 15 games, there's weirdish that happens. Guys, the Brewers are not this good. They're not going to be 5-1. No, they're this good. The Phillies aren't going to be 1-5. and, and five. Trace Thompson are suddenly going to well, they destroy are. Major League Baseball. Well, they are, because you BKO'd them earlier just, in the just season. Just like every sport. I mean, let's just be honest. The Blues were 3-0 to start the year. Like, they looked like a Stanley Cup contender. <laughs> we allowed no goals to Edmonton. Yeah, and we were doing the rest of that month saying, well, they can't be this bad. And then they were that bad. But what I'm saying is early in seasons, three games for the Blues, probably the first 15 to 20 for the Cardinals, they're as weird-ish that happens. So, yes, did they get the snot beat out of them by the Atlanta Braves this week? Yes, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Wasn't pretty. But I will judge it more once we get closer to the deadline and once we get past the deadline because that's when teams are playing their – supposed to be playing their best baseball and they've made the adjustments for the postseason post-deadline. In the first week in games three or four, five, six – Yes, they got swept. I'm not overly panicked about them getting beat by the Braves, even though that's a team they need to beat. I want to continue this on the other side. Alex mentioned both to us before the show, hey, I don't think we need any extra time because I think we're going to end up carrying this thing over. He was 100% right. Alex is a a smart man. He knew what he was doing here. Uh, I want to talk about this a little further on the other side because what Alex mentioned there I think is a really important point, and I think too many people are conflating two different conversations and having them at the same time. Do the Cardinals have an October problem? Yes. Do the Cardinals have a regular season problem with their pitching staff? My answer is no. I think they're fine in the regular season with these exact same starters starting the rest of the way. I'll explain why we'll discuss it coming up next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All good. BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Our text line is not happy. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. We'll be joined by Joey Vitale, who always brightens the mood around here, coming up here in just over five minutes. But Alex, you were about to say something about the rotation. I stopped you because we needed to go to break. But if you missed our first segment, basically my premise is this. I understand that the Cardinals have real questions with their rotation. I just disagree with when those questions are going to show their face. I think that they're going to be a problem when we get to the postseason. As I mentioned in the open, over the last two full seasons, so 2021, 2022, and then if you include their numbers this year, Michaelis, Flaherty, Matts, and Montgomery have combined for 920 innings and a 370 RA, which is roughly the equivalent of of what the Tampa Bay Rays pitching staff has done, their starting rotation specifically, has done over the last couple of years. These guys are good pitchers. They just haven't pitched well in the first week of the season. My stance is I think their problems are more about October and where we're preemptively getting mad at the Cardinals for not doing anything to fix their October problem in April. I understand that because we're bringing past history into our conversation here. I get all of that. But let's also bring the past history of what these starters have done and not only look at what they've done in the first half or first week of the season. Alex, I know you're you're a little more down on the rotation than I am. I don't think you're like going overboard or anything like yeah, that. I'm but not panicking. What, what were you about to say before uh, we went to break? My down? only thing with that is as we move further through the beginning of this season, like I know you've got the Milwaukee Brewers next, and that of course is going to be at least somewhat of a challenge compared to what teams like Pittsburgh and Cincinnati are going to be. And it is the first week, first month of the season, and you do give some leniency, but to sit here and act this way after you go up against dominant uh, lineups like Atlanta and Toronto have, and then after you get through a series, let's say it is against Milwaukee, who might be a little bit lesser of a batting order, or when you do it against Pittsburgh or Cincinnati, I also can't sit here and get excited about it and say, yeah, that's back to what we're looking like. So it does fall in the line of what you're saying, BK, of like, let's wait until we get to June or July and really assess. Like Mike Claiborne's assessment of a team is Flag Day. Maybe we're getting closer to Flag Day. But that's where you get to that point where you can look at it and say, okay, yeah, sure. But as as down as I feel about this team after or just the pitching side of it against these two teams that they just played, I'm not going to like be through the roof and see and say like, yeah, see, I knew they were going to be fine when they pitch against bad opponents. I, I agree for what it's worth. Like I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that what I'm saying here is that these numbers are going to normalize and I think they have the offense. And I know that yesterday wasn't pretty overall in terms of the numbers, but I think they have the offense that as long as you are average to above average, when it comes to your pitching, you're going to win a lot of games this year, man. Because you're playing against some of these bad teams. I mean, Milwaukee, I know what they did in the first week of the season. Again, I'm going to discount it a little bit because we can't also take into account who these guys are in their careers. I don't think Milwaukee is going to be world beaters when it comes to what they're doing offensively. So I think you should be a little better with your pitching in this series. I think against Pittsburgh and against San Francisco and against the Angels and Detroit and Chicago and Boston. like These are the teams that are coming up on your schedule. I do think things are going to normalize a bit. And your pitching numbers are going to go down in a good way. I, I 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you that suddenly because you're pitching well or if you get a dominant performance out of Miles Michaelis in one of these games, your October problem is fixed. That is not the case. What I'm saying is it, it, it works both ways here. I'm not getting to either extreme. I think your pitching is fine, and the only guy that can really change that is Jack Flaherty. And it's why every fifth day when he goes out there to start, there is going to be a microscope on what he looks like. Otherwise, though, these guys are known commodities, man. And so we we kind of know what they are. We know what they're not, which is not aces, but we also know what they are, which is really solid middle of the rotation types of starters. The two guys that I had real questions about coming into the season were Jack Flaherty on the positive side and Adam Wainwright on the negative side because of age and the way that he finished last season and the way that the spring went. I'm going to continue watching Jack. I'm going to be very curious to see what it looks like for Wayno when he gets back. But otherwise, and I know this is not like a super sexy take, but a lot of these games pitching wise for the Cardinals are just kind of a, all right, let's see what this looks like and try to get to the end of the year. That's that's my honest stance on where they're at with their starting rotation right now, or really get to July where we've got the, the trade deadline available. Yeah, I don't really disagree with that because I was just going to say the only guy that really changes that October view, because I, I agree, that's kind of where we are is, How's this pitching staff hold up in October right now? Probably not good. And if you don't get Jack Flaherty to be Jack Flaherty of old, they won't hold up in October. It'll be a lot like we've seen in recent years where you're done probably in the first round because you don't have that ace. You don't have that guy that BT always says is, holy blank, we've got to face him. So Jack Flaherty is the guy that, yes, the microscope's on him. When he starts tomorrow, the microscope's going to be on him to say, okay, what does he look like? Because we need to see him starting and get back into that ace form. Otherwise, they have a really big deadline acquisition to make in terms of trying to find an ace. But the rest of these guys, I, I don't disagree. I mean, the, things are going to normalize. We know Steven Matz, he's probably going to be a 4 ERA guy. He can, I think he'll be better than that this year, honestly. I still think he's in for a big year. Miles Michaelis, worst-case scenario, 4 ERA guy. Best-case scenario, about 3-2 probably. And you look at all these other guys, uh, Montgomery, we've seen Montgomery when he's right. He's a really good pitcher. So I have no concerns, and I, I don't even read into the series where they just got swept by Atlanta because, to me, it's still early in the year. There's weird stuff that happens. I, I don't think the Pirates are going to finish ahead of you in the huh. standings. They're ahead of you in the standings right now. I, I think they got the, better pitching. No, I don't. (laughs) Right now, yes, they do. But I don't think that's going to be something that holds up long term. So I have no real concerns. And I agree with you. The only guy that changes the outlook of this whole team is Jack Flaherty. And that's another October conversation. Regular season wise, I think their starting pitching is going to end up being fine. 314 399 9646 is the comfort service text line. This one comes from the 314. Maybe I missed your point, Alex. And and I apologize if that's the case. They said, I think Alex is suggesting that the pitching numbers will normalize because you're playing bad teams, and that doesn't necessarily represent that they're a good pitching staff. Yeah, that, That's fair. That's pitching. Like, uh, guys put up big-time numbers against bad pitching, and that helps to raise what their overall numbers are at the end of the season. That, that, that's how this goes, guys. Like, this is what I've always pushed back against when it comes to the Cardinals' numbers hitting-wise against the high-level starters. Yeah, those high-level starters are doing it against everybody. That's why they have low ERAs. Like, if you look at Max Scherzer, he gets a two ERA in this season because nobody scores more than two runs on average against him. So that, yes, that that is true. Like, I agree that will help normalize the Cardinals numbers, but that's the case for the Cardinals. It's the case for the Rays. It's the case for the Yankees. That's the case for everybody. And again, that goes back to the questions are more about October when you're facing against those really high level teams, those high level offenses like the Braves, like the Blue Jays, and you can't really answer those questions in season. 
something into perspective on the flip side of this. I know you did that with the Tampa Bay Rays numbers, uh, BK, to put it in the rotation, but like, let's just look at this season. Uh, are people in Toronto having the same reaction that we are right yes, now? Yes, for what it's worth. Are people in New York having the exact same reaction as Cardinals fans are oh, they're, now? They're more panicked than we are. Rightfully so, considering how much money they've spent on two starting pitchers. But uh, like, and I would also say they need to calm down. Like I would have this same stance for all of these teams a weekend of the season, let's, for what it's worth. Let's flip the script. Except and, for the Royals. They should be panicking. They're terrible. <laughs> well, we know that. Let's say the pitching staff dominated these first six games of the start of the season. Would we be sitting on the radio hyping up the pitching and Would saying... Would Jack do? Because, again, it goes back to, like, the only guy that I'm really curious about is Jack Flaherty. And I Jack not... was the best damn pitcher out of all of these guys. I mean, he walked like half of the guys. Did he fast. give up <laughs> a hit? Nobody no. hit it 497 feet off of him. All right, you didn't have to bring Woodford into the conversation <laughs> like that. Well, he's not. He's a non-topic all anyway. Right, before we get to Joey Vitale, if you guys thought I'm fired up or Alex is fired up or T-Bone's fired up, I hope you were listening to the fast lane yesterday. Anthony Stalter lost his damn mind. Oh, yeah. He has had enough talking about the Cardinals pitching. If you missed it, I wanted to make sure that we played it here because, again, you think we're mad? You're mad? Anthony Stalter is big mad. We've had the same conversation. You're tired of us talking about O'Neal, but you're not tired of us talking about the starting pitching, which we talk about all the time. But then you're like, well, you guys don't talk about it. (laughs) Pick the bleeping topic, guys. What, What do you want us to talk about? Talk about whatever you want. Oh, you just talk about they don't have pitching. We know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> you know what I want to know about? Uh, nobody's talking about it. This pitching staff's not good enough. <laughs> really? What evidence do you have? Is it the fact that you're 29th in ERA? Is that bad? You know, it's something I thought about, guys, that you didn't. They don't have pitching. <laughs> oh, Jamie, did you realize a Cardinal starting staff sucks? I didn't. Joey Vitale next year on 101 ESPN. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We need to brighten up the mood around here. And Joey Vitale is a guy that always does that. He joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. You can hear him on the call for Blues versus Rangers and pregame with Alex Ferrario starting at 6 o'clock tonight right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Joey, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Joey, Joey, Joey. Ah! 
What's up, boys? What's up? Well, yeah, I've listened. Uh, people are having a tough day with these cars. I'm, I'm having a rough day with these doggone squirrels. My wife, she she wanted to get a bird feeder because she's really into birds. Speaking oh, don't of Carl, do it, Joe. I mean, listen to this thing. She got this bird feeder sitting right outside her kitchen. It seemed like it seemed very poetic and, and um, you know, beautiful. And then I'm just watching these squirrels literally torment the heck out of my bird feeder. They're shaking it and seeds falling all over the place. I haven't seen one bird. I have not seen one bird in that feeder. It's just been squirrels and rabbits and little and, and just different, different varmints are coming over and just kind of shaking it up. And basically, we're feeding all the squirrels in the neighborhood. Now we got a squirrel problem. Joe, I, I had a squirrel problem, too, that resulted in uh, my backyard just having like a, a nest of acorns that uh, wound up in the middle of my lawn and, uh, well, it killed everything. So thankfully I used Green Envy and they fixed that. But uh, squirrels squirrels might be uh, the biggest pain in the you-know-what. Pretty sure Man. I had a raccoon in my attic last yeah. week. Uh, BK invites these pests into his house. I guess we can call Rottler. Uh, Rottler pest, uh, penalty kill pest control. Maybe, maybe they'll, they'll be on it. But, yeah, I'm having a rough time with it, I tell you what. But it is spring, and it is time for those little critters to be coming out. So that seems to be a positive, at least. You know, Joey's I've never house made, is basically Dr. Doolittle. Yeah, well, I've never made the comp, too. Like, BK's had a bird and a raccoon in his house. Like, BK might be Snow White. And, Joe, if you remember correctly, BK wore a Snow White, Snow White lingerie outfit for a punishment. He might be like whoa. a Snow White with these animals. Yeah, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Joe, I mean, you back up there. I may have missed that one. Whoa, what happened? No, no, no. So he, Joe, he BK, overstated that it was just a dress. No, no, it wasn't, Joe. It was a, a lingerie outfit of Snow White. He, uh, he lost a punishment, and T-Bone and I, we all came up with punishments for our football pick this year. Uh, and Tanner and I didn't actually understand the repercussions of having BK wear that because uh, it was an eyesore. I couldn't look at him all day, Joe. Yeah. Ouch. That, that, that might be an image you can never, you can never like leave. You know what I mean? That, that, that's something you can never forget. I would imagine. So every time I would look at BK moving forward, I would only see him as, as in that print. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, I, I mean, I already can't look at him, but imagine having that in, ingrained in your brain. Yeah, hey, man, you got you to do what you got to do. All right, Joey, let's talk a little bit about these Blues because they've been playing better of late, uh, much to the detriment of their draft pick slot, but we don't have to worry about that. You like seeing them win out there, and Justin Falk has been one of the guys that's leading the charge. In his last 15 games, he's got 13 points. He's a plus 12 in that stretch, and he's averaging more than 23 minutes on the ice over those 15 games. Joey, what have you seen from Justin Falk? What's changed in terms of what he's done on the ice for you? Well, I think for Justin Falk, I think he's he's certainly a leader that this team really needed. You know what I mean? Um, you go you go into this post you know trade deadline, and I think that Craig Berube kind of had a recycle effect of who the leaders were and who he needed to address. And he even brought this up, especially after Ryan O'Reilly got traded. You know, he he took four guys into a room, and he basically turned the leadership over to them. You know, guys that have had you know different sample sizes of it. Certainly Justin Falk has been a co-captain in his career, but it was, you know, it was Falk. It was of course, you know, Robert Thomas, uh, Colton Pareko was another player in there as well as Braden Chen. So those are the four guys he really kind of grabbed two forwards, two defensemen. And, you know, I think he had a conversation with them basically stating that this is where we're at in the season. Craig Berube has seen this spot enough. I certainly have experienced it as a player where you are in rebuild mode. You are in sell mode. 
And this is where you had to be very careful about how you were going to approach the rest of the season. You needed to stay competitive. You needed to keep the compete. You needed to keep the energy. And you certainly needed to keep the life going in that room because of the drastic effect that that could have in the future. And this is what I think the leadership group has done very well. I go to that Nashville Predators game last weekend. That was one of the most embarrassing losses, according to a couple of veterans I talked to on the plane ride home from Nashville. And what did they do the very next afternoon? They beat the Boston, they, excuse me, they lost to the Boston Bruins, but they almost, they almost ended up beating them there in overtime. And then it was a very, just a, a gutsy effort by the veterans, especially Braden Shen and Justin Falk, like you mentioned. Those type of guys, I can't tell you what that does to galvanize the group to keep uh, the culture intact. And what I mean by culture is you need to make sure you stay competitive. You have to keep that identity going throughout the rest of the season because you have young players that are learning from you. Yes, I understand that some Blues fans who, you know, were a little frustrated right now. It's funny that you're frustrated that the Cardinals are losing and you can be frustrated that <laughs> the Blues for winning. But that, that really is the truth, isn't it? Yeah. But, but for, those, for those fans out there, I, I would tell you this. You know, and Curves brought this up the other day. You know, yes, you may slide. You may not get a top five pick. You may not get that number six overall. You may end up sliding to the 12th or 13th. Uh, but, but trust me when I tell you this, you know, some of the Blues' best players have come later in those rounds. I mean, look at Robert Thomas. He wasn't a top 10 pick. You go back to 2010, Jaden Schwartz, you know, to me, was just Mr. Blue throughout that 2019 run, you know, 14th overall. You know what I mean? So you look at, you look at some of these players – that in 2010, Tarasenko as well. Some of these players that are franchise changers, they're not necessarily top three, top four picks. They, they could come later in the first round. So don't get so hung up on, oh, we're going to fall to 13th and 14th. We're, never, we're not going to find that, that franchise player. There's plenty of them out there. It's a deep draft. And I think the Blues are certainly still going to be okay between that 10 and 15 range. So the most important thing for right now is to make sure you're still grooming those young players, whether it be a Matthew Kessel in his second game. He's starting to see the competitive nature. He's starting to see how the Blues way is. You know, Jake Neighbors is certainly still kind of in that mix. Torpchenko. It's more important that they stay competitive and they have that winning hockey down the stretch, and maybe you fall four or five spots in the draft. I'd rather see that than a team that completely combusts, like we saw with the Philadelphia Flyers who got called out by their assistant coach for having guys not even try. And then, okay, so you're going to get like a seven or eight pick now, and then you have this culture of players that have not tried through the last two months of the season. Give me a break. No, this is, this is the right way. This is The Blues are handling it properly. Starts with Craig Bruby, filters down to the leadership. They're staying competitive. There's been some exciting hockey. Yeah, you're going to drop a few points in the, in the draft. You may, you may get you know, 11 or 12 instead of a five or six. But this is the right way uh, moving forward in the future. Joe, um, I'm expecting Bennington in between the pipes with this one tonight, and I would expect him to get at least two more starts down the stretch. Uh, I posed this question to BK and Tanner yesterday in the office. Do do you feel like there's anything else for Bennington to quote-unquote prove by the end of the regular season? Uh, let's see him score a goal. He hasn't done that yet. I mean, <laughs> that's a small thing. You know, he almost had one the other day too. Is as we were watching that Philly game, looked like they were going to dump at the red line. I remember thinking, like, if he has an opportunity, he's going to he's going to go for it. Uh, that's a statistical thing. I think he'd like to see. You know, but aside from that, you know, I'd like to see you know Jordan Bennington uh, just continue that compete and continue that fight. You know, some of these goals that are going in past him. You really can't hang them on the goaltender. They, they've been backdoor captains. They've been they've been you know power play goals for the team coming right across the blue paint, or maybe the defenseman misses a responsibility. Uh, but you know he he has been so consistent all year. And again, I, I hate I, I feel like it's the integrity of my uh, 
me, me saying that, people were like, what is he talking about? Look at these numbers. Look at the wins. But he really has. I mean, this has been a goaltender that has seen such uh, just inconsistent and sometimes blatantly terrible defense right in front of him. And, of course, you know, these players, the, these offensive players on the opposing team, uh, the sticks, the, you know, the power plays, the way that they can score goals at will. I mean, you really got to defend. You got to defend very consistently and hard in order to to keep these games low scoring. He has not had a terrific five man unit in front of him pretty much all year consistently. It's been spotty. It's been here and there. And again, this is not talking about the defenseman. This is a five man defending group that this team has just not been very good at in front of him. And he has still figured out a way to keep this team in most games. When most goaltenders, I mean, I'm telling you, they would have thrown the towel and given up a long time ago. Even when he's allowed one early or two early, he keeps it at two, doesn't allow it to get to three. Um, and I think when you talk about the veterans in Chen and Preko, we were talking about Justin Falk, so much of the compete of Jordan Bennington, really it's a contagious effect throughout this team. And I think as tough of a year it's been from a number standpoint for him, I think one thing that stayed very consistent has been his competitiveness. And I think that, that uh, for, for that, he, he's a leader. I mean, I know you don't see goaltenders with a lot of A's or C's anymore. They only happened a couple times. I think Robert Luongo supported a captaincy at one point. But aside from that, goaltenders don't do it very often. But this is, this is a leader on this team. He's a vocal piece. He's a competitive piece. He's got that drive. And he's got that kind of fight back when, when things aren't going well. And all that really embodies Blues hockey. And moving forward, Alex, into the next season, uh, this is going to be a key piece, a key piece to this kind of uh, short little rebuild for Doug Armstrong. Joey, our text line wanted to come to the rescue for oh, you. Yeah. They said, tell Joe to mix cayenne pepper in with his bird food. The squirrels don't like it, but it doesn't bother the birds a bit. That'll get rid of his problem. Get it, Joe. Yeah, see, well, I, I'm surprised I didn't think about that because, you know, I know chickens, they, they don't possess any nasal, they don't possess any nasal neurons. And in, in that's why you can give chickens like peppers. Like they always say that, you know, if you have chickens, you should give them red and orange peppers because then the color of their food makes uh, makes their yolk darker. You know, so people always are talking about like, oh, these these eggs are so healthy; they have an orange color. It's not really about the health. The, the orange, uh, the oranges and the yolk really comes from the color of the food. So then people would say, well, you can't give them these like hot red chili peppers because they they're going to die. They're so hot. But then they fed them these peppers, and then these chickens. They didn't do anything, and then they realized over lots of research and studies that they don't actually possess the nasal the nasal uh, cavity that humans and most animals do, so they can absorb those hot peppers and, and cayenne, of course, uh, a big pepper. So I'm surprised I didn't think about that. I know all about the cavities of chickens. I didn't I didn't assume it was birds, but. I'm going to make some cayenne into the bird seat. Please tell the text line thank you for me. Yeah, I've got it. And thank you, Joey, for making us smarter and, and yeah, telling now us I'm going to start feeding chickens cavities for chickens. Yeah, my, my chickens yeah, at home, feeding. as you know, I've got two of everything. Noah's Ark yeah. building Snow, over at my Snow house. White. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll make sure that we feed them all of the peppers Absolutely. that we've got. Please do. Please do. Joe, appreciate the time, man. Thank you, guys. You got it. The Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him hopping on with us today. Never know where the conversation's going to go. Like it Neil is De- always highly entertaining. He's like Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's yeah. like always has information up there. Got a little bit on everything for you. Yeah. Whatever you want to bring up, he's like, hey, I got a little bit on he, that. He, he started to dive down a uh, female anatomy hole in broadcast on the Blues broadcast the other night. That can be dangerous. Yeah, Curbs stepped away from that. Yep, that makes sense. But it Coming was still up interesting. Next, 314-399-9646 for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's 
BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314. BK, who's your Augusta winner? Uh, let's go around the room. We'll all give our predictions real quick. I said the other day, based on the odds, if you're talking about betting, I really like some of the guys that are coming over from the live tour because specifically Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson. They've got better odds than I think they should be, honestly. Over on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, Brooks Kepka, Kepka specifically is 27 to 1 right now to win. If you looked at what he's done so far, it's already off to a good start, two under through uh, three. He's a guy that I would place some money on. So uh, just based on the odds, he would be the one that I would bet on. Yeah, this uh, they're doing their par three kind of walkthrough today. Um, and Victor Hovland, Hovland uh, is in the lead. And I think they said he was like a plus 2,100. I don't know what he was at, but mine's Dustin Johnson. And it seems like always at the Masters is when like Dustin Johnson shows up and goes off. He won it in 2020. He was pretty competitive the last couple of seasons, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, Dustin Johnson would be my pick. I think Roy McIlroy is still pretty good. So I, I would bet on him. That's Six and a half to one. Maybe the only golfer I Second probably still have on the board. You just have to Google is like who, <laughs> who is good at I, golf. I, 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 I almost just said just take whoever's in third place right now. They'll come. They'll go on to win. Uh, that would be a tie of like seven yeah. different dudes. All right, take one of those dudes. He likes Adam Scott. Yeah, That's what he's Tijon pretty said. good. I actually Adam heard Scott. of him before. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line from the three one four. Alex, this one's for you. Would Army deal Justin Falk this off season? No. Because, as Joe mentioned, our, uh, Falk is one of those leaders. And now that you've gone through this season, you're going to continue to go through this season. Um, he's going to be one of the leadership course, specifically on the defensive side. I, I truly believe, and JR had this in his mailbag a couple of days ago on the part one. If they're moving defensemen, it's one of three guys. It's Krug, Letty, or Scandella. They're going to ship out somebody on the left side. And it's just a matter of who's interested in in either of those. From the 618, guys, is it safe safe to say thank goodness for the Battlehawks and for St. Louis City SC? Otherwise, St. Louis fans would be going absolutely insane right now. Uh, no, because it's happening any, anyway. So uh, I don't think that's changed a whole lot. From the 314, guys, Noah Carter announced today that he is returning to Mizzou next year. Woohoo! Oh, good for Did him. Did it say the woohoo? No, nah, it was me. Oh. I was editorializing there. If the rumors are true, and Caleb Love does indeed transfer to Mizzou, and Kobe Brown decides to come back, just how good could Mizzou's team be in 2024? Uh, I think you're talking about a top five, top 25 team in the country, and all of the upside stuff that we talked about this year of them potentially being able to get to the Sweet 16, that will apply even more to next year's team than it did this year's team. That's that's how I feel. Put it this way, they won't choke in the first round of the tournament. Hey. Not like another team in the another area. local team that seems to not be able to get the Illinois job done. He's never lost to Princeton or a 15 seed twice, so uh, I mean it's fine. If they're point. able to, if they're able to attack all of that and, and get those players, I mean, is it far fetched to think Sweet 16, Elite Eight? No, that's where I'm at then. I, Although I did say Final Four with this Missouri team, but yeah. in my defense, they had the easiest path. They just choked against Princeton. I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, if you get Caleb Love into this equation, I, I think they're definitely a top 25 team in the country and, and also a team that should be having the expectation of at least getting past the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Now, 
We'll see how well they gel together. I mean, that was the biggest flaw with the Illini team. I thought they had a ton of talent on the roster, just never clicked together. I, I, I think Dennis Gates would be able to do it because I think Dennis Gates is a really good head coach, but I thought the same thing about Brad Underwood. So that would be kind of my just, hey, yes, on paper, this is a good team, but let's remember the precau- let's remember the cautionary tale of what happened to the Illini this season. Um, something else worth noting, and somebody from the 314 brought this up. Still need some bigs. Give me one of the guys that they've been rumored to be in on as well. Yeah, like this is not a finished product. Missouri appears to be quote unquote in on every significant transfer in the portal right now. So um, they're going to get somebody that is over six foot 10 and can run the court. That's going to happen. I don't know which player it's going to be, but uh, that's something that it's very clear at this point. Dennis Gates has put a priority to- a priority on this offseason. I would be very surprised if they don't add somebody of significance at the center position Uh, from the three, one, four final question here for questions and answers guys. If the Cardinals were to go four and two on their upcoming road trip, what do you think Cardinals fans will be talking about a week from today? How much different will the feeling be in Cardinal nation? How do they go four and two? Did Did their offense like, score nine, 10 runs because the pitching was given up five, six, seven, then I'm still going to have the same conversations. But if your pitching goes out and dazzles, I'm going to be, cause it's what the brewers and then Colorado. So Colorado's, <laughs> we don't I, know how I, that's going to go. Pitching goes to die in Colorado. Yeah. So I'm going to assume they won that series based on offense. Well, apparently pitching goes to die in St. Louis also. No, that's just a coincidence. Uh, but I, I still think Cardinals fans would be very uh, pessimistic. I, I think we would be getting a lot of texts. We'd come into, I don't remember when that Colorado series is, I think Wednesday or Thursday, we'd come into Monday work. Through Wednesday. Yeah. yeah, we'd come into work on Thursday and go, wow, look at that. They righted the ship. They went on that six-game road trip. And Cardinals fans would go, well, don't read too much into that. Remember, Milwaukee's offense isn't very good. You know, about scoring the Colorado Rockies. Always excuses. It, yeah, so I, I think there would still be some pessimistic vibes to the Cardinals rotation. If the Cardinals shove or the Cardinals put up like an average of eight runs per game over the next six, which one do you think makes people more excited? Cardinals rotation allows an average of two runs per game. Cardinals offense has averages eight runs per game. They both get you to four and two on this. It would be the pitching because people already know the offense is going to be great. It's the pitching that would make you feel better. And I mean, it, it is against Milwaukee and Colorado, so I'm not going to be like, you know, throwing an entire celebration, but it's significant compared to like Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. I, I for, think for what it's worth, I, I would be on the offense side yeah. of things because I think that's more translatable. You're going up against Woodruff and Peralta in the series against Milwaukee. At least that's what's scheduled right now. I know Colorado is where pitching goes to die. I get all of that. But if you can take advantage of it, that's a good sign. Uh, if your offense shows that it can be legitimately one of the best in the major leagues this year, that would get me more excited. And it goes back to, I think, our open. And it's where we're different, Alex. And I'm not saying you're wrong or I'm I'm wrong. Anything in between. I want to see this offense continue this kind of trajectory because as, as high as I was on it a year ago, this feels even better. I just, I'm at the point now where it's like the offense is the real deal. Just show me what you do in the playoffs coming up next. Speaking of that offense, a big driving force behind it is Jordan Walker. I tried to slow play the expectations for Walker coming into this season. Jordan Walker has taken a sledgehammer to that slow play. We'll talk about him, what it means for the Cardinals next year on 101 ESPN.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jordan will try to keep alive a five game hit streak to start his big league career. Breaking ball hammered down the line. A J bomb. Jordan Walker's first big league homer. Breaking ball. Fair ball down the line. Walker, big turn. Here's the throw to second, and the big man in safely with a sliding double. He's had a positive start to the season, and uh, a lot of what we saw in spring. Um, he's under control, and he's just taking really good at bats. He's getting more and more comfortable in the outfield. He's doing a really nice job, so we're happy with it. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Jordan Walker has been on a tear so far to start this regular season. Two doubles, a homer, five RBI, a 335 batting average, and oh, by the way, a 900 OPS. And it's not just the numbers, Alex. Sometimes the numbers can lie. Look at the pitching rotation. He also has 12 batted balls of 100 miles per hour or more. He is crushing the baseball. You don't believe me? That is the most in all of Major League Baseball. No player in the sport has hit the ball at 100 miles per hour or higher more often so far this year than Jordan Walker. Oh, by the way, he is still just 20 years old. Can't drink a Budweiser legally here in St. Louis yet. It's remarkable what we have seen from him. If you're looking for the sprint speed, he's at like the 85th percentile so far this year. You're looking for the arm. Well, look no further than opening day when he threw it more than 100 miles per hour from right field. You're looking for the power. We just saw it yesterday. The one thing I would like to see from him is to get the ball off the ground a little bit more often. But when you're hitting it as hard as he is, even those ground balls are finding a way to get through the infield. Alex, I tried. I tried real hard to bring down some of the expectations for Jordan Walker because I said, hey, some of this is unfair, man. We don't know how it's going to look for him early in the season. He could start one for 20, and that does not mean that he's a failure. It doesn't mean that he's a bust. It means that he's 20 and that he's going to go through some hard times. I still believe that to be true. With the way that he hits the ball into the ground, I do think there's going to be some spells where he's just getting some bad batted ball luck, and he goes one for 20. That doesn't mean that he's a bad player. It means he had a few, a couple of bad games. What has surprised you the most? What has stood out to you the most about Jordan Walker so far, Alex? I mean, it's, it's obvious when it comes to the hard hit rate. I, I mean, the fact that he is smashing these over 100 miles an hour off the bat has just been impressive, but... I think the other thing is like there have been multiple games, if I'm not mistaken, where he's gone into his final at bat and he was 0 for 3. And typically you look at that and say, okay, young kid 0 for 3 in a game, probably thinking he's overwhelmed a little bit and would strike out looking or something at the end of it. A majority of those hits have come in that last at bat of the game. I mean, look at that home run that he had prior to the home run. He was the one that hit it hard up the third baseline. So I just think it's the composure of Jordan Walker. And I was the same as you, BK. I was trying to underplay this. I thought the best move for Jordan Walker from a Cardinals perspective was put him down in the minors. And we even had Michael Gersh tell us there were individuals 
in the group of the front office that thought that was the best place for him. But props to them to say, like, no, he's got the mental maturity to handle this. We know the physical maturity is there. It's just a matter of getting reps. Um, and he has shown that the ability to, to locate that strike zone and and to acknowledge it and kind of adjust on the fly has been very impressive on top of how hard he's hitting those balls. I, I think the thing for me is just the ability that we've seen from him with breaking pitches, because for me early on, I remember we talked to Kyle Reese BK and he had said something like there is a hole in his swing. And I think it was curveballs and sliders blown away. And so far, he's hitting 500 against breaking balls, and it's just a very small sample size and a slugging percentage against them as well. But you can tell that's what teams are trying to do. They're trying to attack him with that breaking ball low in the zone. And for the most part, I think he's done a very good job in terms of either laying off that pitch or doing something with it. I mean, look at his home run yesterday. His first big league home run, he sells out for that curveball low in the zone and crushes it into left field. So I, I've been impressed with the way he's been able to handle breaking stuff. Now, we'll see what other adjustments pitching staff start to make with him. I think changeups are the next thing that are going to come his way. But I, I, I have been fascinated and, and been really impressed with the way that he's been able to make adjustments and handle the breaking ball, because that's the thing that always gets young players. I mean, Gorman last year, yes, it was fastballs up in the zone, but it was also being set up by breaking balls low in the dirt as well. So that's been the biggest thing that's impressed me with Jordan Walker. So I was listening to the best podcast in baseball yesterday, Alex, and it's Derek Gould, Ben Fredrickson. You can find this over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. It is uh, well worth your time. It's always a, a, an entertaining listen. And they were talking about Walker. And Ben Fredrickson said something that I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think I agree with that at this point. Here's what he had to say on the podcast. I think it's reasonable to expect him to perhaps win the National League Rookie of the Year. I wouldn't say it's a disappointment of a rookie season if he doesn't. But I think the kid's the odds-on favorite in Vegas for that for a legitimate reason. Coming into the season, I told you guys I think that's unfair. To, to expect him to win the um, the NL Rookie of the Year, I, I think that's just it, – it's putting pressure on him that is a little unfair. Now, could he win it? Sure, of course he could. Absolutely. But I, I wasn't expecting it. At this point, I think it's fair to look at it and be like, yeah, I, I could totally see that. And I don't think it's unfair to say that that is – a likelihood for Jordan Walker right now in Vegas. He's four to one in terms of his odds. Corbin Carroll is still the favorite at plus three sixty. So those two are the clear cut favorites right now in Vegas to win the award. Alex, I wanted to look up what that means. Like, okay, cool. Th- this is what the award is, but what does that mean previously? What kind of numbers do guys put up if they are winning the award of National League Rookie of the Year? So I looked at the last five National League players to do so as position players, not including the pitchers, but the last five position players to win NL Rookie of the Year. It's Michael Harris the third last year, uh, Jonathan India, Pete Alonzo, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Cody Bellinger. Let's just go by OPS Plus because it's the easiest way to not give up a million different numbers on what these guys were able to accomplish in their seasons. Harris was at a 134 OPS plus. Jonathan India, it was a down year for rookies across Major League Baseball. Uh, he had a 116 OPS plus. Pete Alonso, 147. Acuna, 143. Bellinger, 143. You go back one year further, though, and you get to Chris Bryant. And that's been the comparison that some have had for Jordan Walker and how he wins with his swing, the style of player that he is, the size that he brings to the table. Chris Bryant, 6'5", 230. Jordan Walker is obviously a mammoth human being. And Chris Bryant's rookie year, he put up 30 doubles, 26 homers, stole 13 bags, and finished the season with a 135 OPS+. Do you guys think that's 
pretty reasonable for what we could expect out of Jordan Walker this season? Is, is that feeling like what we're kind of looking for? I mean, I think so. That sounds about as on par with what I would have expected from him. I think, and I know we were going off OPS plus there. I, I think when you look at a majority of those players, they all had different categories that skyrocketed them to winning the rookie of the year. But if you're going to combine it all together with that number, I think that would be right on par with what I would expect with them. Yeah, I, I think that's close to what you'll see. I, I don't know if you'll see the 26 home runs close to 30 this year. I think he's still kind of maturing into his body and learning his power. Because I, I think you could see the doubles. I mean, just based on the way of how hard he hits the ball, I think you'll see the doubles. But I do think you'll see kind of some spells where he doesn't hit the home run ball as much. I mean, he ha- he's got one through six games, which is impressive. Doesn't it feel like, though, as soon as he gets that power swing, like recognizes, like, okay, that's how you get some loft with it and some distance, that's where he's going to start r- rattling him off a little bit more consecutively? I, I, I'm just skeptical because he's 20, so maybe that's just the only reason I say it. But I think by the time you get to, like, the peak of his career or even right before the peak, I, I think that will happen to where Jordan Walker will have the power to where it's like, Oh boy, he hit one. He's probably going to hit like fifteen here in the next ten games. Like that, he's got that just incredible kind of power. I I I would say that I think those numbers are close to what you'll get. But I would put probably that home run total closer to fifteen. Maybe add like ten extra doubles just to kind of make up for. Because I think he'll be more of a doubles hitter than he will be a home run hitter. I think right now he doesn't have the launch that that is necessary to hit twenty six home runs. Now that that could be something that Turner Ward works on him on with him. And by the end of the season, we're talking about him in August and September, and we're like, whoa, these home runs are coming in bunches suddenly. What what changed for him? And people ask him about it, and he says, hey, at the All-Star break, I kind of worked on my swing path, and I tried to get a little bit more launch involved in the swing. That could be something that you see from him. I think around 20 is, is probably kind of where I would expect him to be by the end of the season, but... Something approaching that rookie year for Chris Bryant does not feel out of the realm of possible. I mean, 13 stolen bases, I think, is another part of his uh, profile that I bet we'll see something from Jordan Walker in that regard as well. Um, He's just, man, he's such a well-rounded player in a way that I underestimated, honestly. The one thing that is still lacking a bit is his transition in the outfield, and he's just okay over there. I would say right now he's probably a below average right fielder. It's I don't think he's come with bad, time, but he's below average and he's transitioning. Like That's what you would expect to see from him out there. But at the plate, he's calm. He has a clear plan. And other than hitting the ball into the ground, I really have no like, whoa, that's going to be a problem when I look at the way that he's approaching things at the plate. And I, I will give credit to the Cardinals in this regard. We've seen that a lot with their young players over the last few years. You think about some of the guys that have come up. Juan Yepes looked ready to go from the moment that he stepped on a big league field. Same thing was true of Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, uh, Jordan Walker this year. Lars Nupar, to a degree, had a little bit of that. The last couple of seasons, these young players are coming up to the big leagues, and they're ready to contribute towards winning immediately. Alec Burleson, look at what he's doing so far this year. I'll give credit to the Cardinals, because in the past, I think that's been a problem for them is really getting those position players ready to go and not having them slide back to the to the AAA level to try to get back on track. They've done a much better job of that over the last few years. I don't know if that's something that was a part of their hitting plan and we need to give credit where it's due with Jeff Albert or if it's something that uh, the organizational philosophies have changed. I, I don't know, but whatever the reason, whatever the explanation, maybe it's scouting. They've just been scouting better players. Whatever the reason is, uh, credit to the Cardinals for that because it's it's something they were lacking on. Now, if we could get that on the pitching side, 
That would be the pitching's fine. The underlying numbers. Have you seen the fielding independent numbers? Coming up next, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters, including a top three wide receiver in the NFL. That says he's going to call it quits in the next few years. Talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. BK and Ferrario is here with you on 101 ESPN. So guys, yesterday, I was perusing my tweet machine, and I see something from Tyreek Hill. Oh, I'm like, oh, is he God. regretting the trade? He wish he was with the Chiefs still? He's talking again. And this time he says he's ready to retire here pretty soon. How many more years do you think you can play? I'm or going, do you want to play? I'm going for 10, man. I'm going to finish out this contract with the Dolphins, man. And then I'm going to call it quits. You know, I want to I want to go into the business side. I want like, to do so many things in my life, bro. Tyreek Hill stating at the age of 28, I got three years left in me in the NFL. You buying this or is he just out here trying to make headlines again? Oh, I'm buying this. Tyreek Hill absolutely seems like the type of person that will retire at 31 because he'll view himself as the goat of all wide receivers. He got his money and then he'll be like, all right, now I'm going to go start my own podcast and talk ish about everybody in the NFL. I'm absolutely buying this. Yeah, I'm not buying it. I, I, I think he was the kind of player to where it's easy to say it now of, hey, yeah, three, four years I'll retire. I can walk off in the sunset and go explore business opportunities. And then teams start calling and offering you a new contract. It's like, well, you know, those business opportunities will be there after yeah. I'm done playing football. And I still got four more years left in me. I, I'm not really buying this. I, I think this is Tyreek kind of getting caught in the moment to where it's like, man, retirement sounds nice. Can't lie. Thought about it. I'm only 60 years away compared to Tyreek and his four. Uh, but uh, I, I think that I, I think this is just one of those caught up in the moment. Ask the question. Oh, yeah, retirement doesn't sound bad. And then when money starts being thrown around at you, you're, you're going to go back quick, and play. Quick question. At what age yeah. do you think you can retire? According to my, uh, I don't even remember what we use here, but 2065. So 65, baby. Only got. Uh, he said 60 years, one. right? Thought he thought he uh, had to be like 85 sorry, when he I retires. When I'm I in mean, my 60s. I don't know about you, Alex, but that's kind of what I'm assuming that I'm going to be re- retiring well, is roughly what? 85. I'm responsible. I like to plan for my retirement. Well, yeah, that makes too. one of us about 90 years old. I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if Tyreek Hill retires in three years. This is a guy that loves the spotlight, loves it, loves competing, is one of the best players in the NFL. And you're telling me he's just going to give up the opportunity to continue earning 20 to 30 million dollars per year willingly because he's going to start going into the esports side of things. Mm. All right. I'll believe that when I see it. Not buying it whatsoever. Now, if he does, God bless him. More power to him. Hey, man, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Like, I, I get it. But. I would be really, really surprised if that is indeed the case. All right, so this Lamar Jackson saga continues, Alex. Yesterday, I don't know if you saw any of this, but the Ravens held their pre-draft press conference. This included uh, the head coach, the general manager, Eric DaCosta. They were answering a a bunch of questions. And prior to the interviews, the PR person, you know how this works, says, hey, guys. This is the pre-draft press conference. We're not going to be answering any questions about Lamar today. Let's just hold these questions about the NFL draft. So one of the interviewers said, got it. 
he asked about the draft. Narrator, he didn't get it. Hey, with the whole situation with Lamar in the background, (laughs) are you viewing this year's NFL draft any differently? Are you taking the time to evaluate these quarterbacks in a, like, just-in-case scenario? Paul Smith. Eric DaCosta said... It really depends on the board. It really does. I mean, I have to say yes, because we have a quarterback in our top 31. We have quarterbacks in our top 31. So just on that alone, simple math said, yeah, I would consider taking a quarterback in the first round. What are the Ravens doing? Well, correct me if I'm wrong. If Lamar plays and they don't trade him, this would be his final year before free agent agent eligibility, correct? One more franchise tag that they can use. Okay, so they can do one more year. So they're probably viewing it as, well, we'll, I'm just, I'm going to do the the Baltimore Ravens PR version. Well, we'll draft a quarterback so they can work under Lamar Jackson for the next two years and learn from one of the greats. And then by the time that Lamar's a free agent, if he decides to go elsewhere, we've got our next quarterback in the wings. I I do wonder if that's part of the plan is... It, but uh, I wonder. I don't know who the quarterback would be. Maybe this is where the buzz of Hendon Hooker ends up being drafted in the first round is with Baltimore, to where they decide what, to take 22? on a project, uh, something like that. But yeah, take Hendon on Hooker. No, the the Ravens where they're drafted. Yeah, but but take on a I was like not Hendon Hooker's like thirty. <laughs> take on a project quarterback to be ready because <laughs> let's remember when Kirk Cousins did went through the franchise route and look totally different players. I'm not trying to say they're the same guy, Lamar and Kirk, but. When Kirk Cousins basically told the Washington uh, Commanders, hey, yeah, I'm not coming back after the franchise tag. Let's play this out. Then I'm going to free agency. Washington did not have an answer after Kirk Cousins, and they're still searching for their answer post-Kirk Cousins. I think they tried Alex Smith. He had the unfortunate injury, but they have not had an answer since. I think Baltimore's potentially looking at the possibility of trying to get ahead of this because they're not going to hand out the contract to Lamar, agree or disagree with that decision. And in two years, they know they're going to have to find a new franchise quarterback. So why not try and get ahead of it now in the draft? And if someone's there that you like in their spot. And if somebody decides to to try and go after Lamar Jackson at the draft, then you're probably going to get a higher draft pick, which hence then you get a better quarterback. Yeah, I this entire situation is befuddling to me. It, it just leaves me wondering, like, what what is your plan? What are you guys trying to accomplish? It It's just I don't know, man, uh, I. I continue to wonder if there's more to this story. Seems like they're trying to force Lamar Jackson into being the bad guy. Oh yeah, they've that's, been that's trying what to they're do that, doing for sure. And no, they're fair. just going to stick with it. Just where it's like, PR. yeah, Lamar, you, we're expecting you back. And if you don't want to be back, you want to force a trade. Fine, but you're the one that's going to be answering all the questions of why you're going to be traded. It's a it's a weird thing, and I don't totally understand where they're hoping this ends up. All right, final thing for you guys. When you look at this year's NFL draft, the quarterbacks are obviously the storyline. I am curious, though, because every year Alex falls in love with somebody in the NFL draft. Jordan Davis, baby. Do you have a guy? Like, do you have a that's my guy player in this year's NFL draft? So it's not like to the equivalent of Jordan Davis where, and I mean, Jordan did go in the first round, but it's like one of those like deep guys. Uh, There's two of them for me. Okay. One is Quinton Johnson. I told you that mammoth yesterday of TCU wide receiver. And then the other is we've talked about this before. It's Darnell Washington, the tight end. Yes. The man is a monster. He is built like an, a defensive lineman, but yet we're playing tight end out here. I heard somebody say this the other day, and it kind of hit home for me. T-Bone, you're a big NBA guy. He ba- he has the same wingspan 
as Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh my gosh. His wingspan is Giannis Antetokounmpo. His hand size. So, you know, a, a typical piece of paper. So like this piece of paper that I've got right here, this is 11 inches when it comes to top to bottom. When they measure your hands at the NFL combine, they do so from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky. That is the measurement. Or Kenny Pickett. His hand is the size of a piece of paper. It is Sandwiched. 11 inches. Sandwich size, too. It's, it is ridiculous. Yikes. The reason why I bring all of that up is because it's, it's the old, like, planet theory. What I mean by that is there's only so many people on the planet that are this size that move the way that he does. Yeah. He had the third best short shuttle drill at the NFL Combine. The guys in front of him were a cornerback and a wide receiver. What the short shuttle is, is you run five yards to one side, 10 yards back, and five yards to the other side. He was third, not among tight ends. In the entire NFL Combine, he had the third best time. It's ridiculous. uh, He did the the weight bench push thing to where they were measuring that, and there were other tight ends. The weight bench push thing. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. The sled. That's what it is. The sled. Uh, the, the, I thought you were talking about the no, bench no, press. No, not the bench press. No, it was the, the sled. That's what it <laughs> there is. There you go. It took me a couple seconds. But like other that were doing it, offensive linemen, tight end, defensive linemen, pushed it like, I don't know, two, three yards. This man went out there and pushed it like 10 full yards. I really want him on the Chiefs. He's. Uh, I want I, him to be paired with Travis Kelsey and for them to just be able to go out there with two ridiculous human beings on the tight end. I saw a mock draft that had him going to the Green Bay Packers. Like, really? Come on. That'd be fun. Can we please go somewhere other than Green Bay? Yeah, I'm looking forward to him, and then I'm looking forward to the two Illini guys that I'm most fascinated with, and that's Weatherspoon, the the corner. I, I think he's going to be a top twenty pick. I some then, people think top ten. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm still skeptical if he goes top ten, but I could see top fifteen, top twenty. And then the other one for me, I I think he's going to be a later round pick, probably best maybe second. I don't even think he'll go that high, but third, fourth round beyond is Chase Brown. I I think Chase Brown is going to be a really good late round running back steal in the draft. I I think he's the kind of guy. That can be drafted late, and when you look at like Robinson's the guy that everybody's drawing attention to, that first round guy. Yeah, yeah, he'll be good. But I, I think Chase Brown's one of those guys that comes in third, fourth round, and you go, man, he had a really good NFL career. I, I, I he, I'm fascinated to know where he ends up going. You know who he kind of reminds me of? David Montgomery, former Bears running back. Where it's like he's he's got a little size to him. He's not super fast, but he he is going to finish the first year of his career. And you'll be like, that guy's really good. Like, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be somebody that leads the NFL in rushing or anything like that, but he just every year is a starting running back in the first five years of his career. So I, I like that one a lot. I, I've mentioned it before. Um, he is a quarterback. My guy's Anthony Richardson. I think Anthony Richardson safe pick is I, I know it sounds weird. I actually believe that though. And the reason why is because I'm changing my tune on the way that we evaluate quarterbacks. It used to be that like, the safe pick is somebody like a CJ Stroud or a Will Levis, right? You bring them in and you know, all right, well, worst case scenario, we've got a perfectly adequate starting quarterback. I think now the safe picks are the guys that can run early on in their careers because it buys them time, both literally and figuratively. You look at what Justin Fields was last year. He was not a refined product by any stretch of the imagination. He lacked for weapons and he lacked for really just identifying what he was seeing defensively. But he's so athletic that he's able able to overcome it, and he finishes the season with the most rushing yards in the history of the NFL by a quarterback. I think that's the kind of thing that you could get out of a guy like Anthony Richardson. He is the most athletic quarterback in the history of the NFL Combine. He's six foot four and he weighs 245 pounds. Just from a size perspective, he's Cam Newton, size-wise. I, 
I think he's going to end up being really good. And I think it, by year one, he has a chance to be the offensive rookie of the year because of the type of skill set that he has. And that's before he's able to hone in his craft with what he is as a passer. Coming up next, what did the Vladimir Tarasenko trade represent for the St. Louis Blues? And it is the return of the Ferrario Five. <gasps> Alex has the five <laughs> NHL prospects for the Blues that are worth monitoring this offseason. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vladdy especially was here a long time, you know, did a lot of great things here in this organization, uh, part of the cup winning team. I always look forward to seeing those guys and it'll be good. Vladimir Tarasenko back in town tonight as the New York Rangers are in town along with Chris Kreider. Here in St. Louis, oh, alongside Alex blue. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Didn't even mention Nico Mikola. What a jerk. He'll be here too. Wow. Uh, Alex, pregame coverage with you and Joe starts at 6 o'clock right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. The puck drop for that one at 7. Darn tootin'. Let's start with Vladdy. Okay. What Love do you think you. the reception's going to be like tonight when he returns? I think it's going to be a loud ovation. I, I, it's going to be interesting because you always measure it of compared to other ovations like David Perron, in my opinion, was the loudest that a former blue has gotten since Pat Maroon when he got the, the Stanley Cup ring because that was loud. Um, I would imagine Vladdy's going to have as loud, if not louder than David Perron, because both were blues draft picks, both won a Stanley Cup. Both were high-end goal scorers, but the only difference is Vladdy remained a blue all the way up until he was traded. And, of course, David Perron, not in his control because he only signed with St. Louis, uh, was a member of other teams. Vladdy's goal-scoring ability, he was the, the first pure goal scorer on this Blues team since Brett Hall. And, and I mean, that that says something about... Uh, the disrespect for Brad Boys. Well, um, no disrespect. <laughs> no disrespect to you, Bradley Boys, but uh, it was a one-and-done kind of situation with you, my man. But uh, it, it's going to be loud, and people are going to respect what Vladdy always brought. And and I know I, I heard JR on the opening drive today talk about, you know, uh, as what people see of cheering for him and him talking about how much he loved the blues on Bally sports Midwest. That was very apparent, but behind closed doors, of course there were issues between Vladdy and the blues, but I expect it to be a good ovation because he was a major part of that team winning a Stanley cup. I think one thing that always gets a little underrated about Vladdy is how he performed in the postseason. I think early on the team didn't have the success that everybody was hoping for. And therefore like he was the, the face of those playoff failures, because he was, as you mentioned, one of the first goal scorers like at that level since Brad Hall. Uh, disrespect to Brad boys. Um, but when you look at active players, goals per game in the postseason, this is the entire list of players that have more goals per game in the postseason than Vladimir Tarasenko. Nathan McKinnon. He's good. Jake Gunsel. Connor McDavid. He's really good. Braden Point. Good. Alex Ovechkin. End of overrated. I mean, it's remarkable the postseason success that Vladimir Tarasenko had here in a Blues uh, uniform. And when you're able to add a Stanley Cup onto the end of it, now we can point back to that and say, man, that guy was a playoff performer. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what made him so special and part of what makes people skeptical of Jordan Cairo as a playoff performer, honestly, is that he had the size. 
to go along with that that speed and the shot that we all fell in love with when he was here in St. Louis. And so when he comes back tonight, I think that's what people should remember him for. Not so much how it ended because, man, these things, it, it doesn't typically end well when a franchise icon ends up going elsewhere. Look at Tom Brady in New England. They almost exclusively had good times. It ended poorly. It ended ugly, and we all knew it was going to eventually. So when he comes back, remember what he did in that postseason run. Remember what he did really in his career in the postseason. So for me, I, I think he's going to get a, a crazy ovation tonight. Yeah, some, somebody texted, and I expected it, that said, I disagree. Vladdy wanted out. He's not going to get the same Ovechkin that David Perron did because Perron never wanted out. You can take that stance as much as you want, and it's a valid stance, but regardless if Vladdy wanted out, he still performed post him being outspoken about wanting to be traded and put up that 80 point season. And I mean, I am just looking back at some of the postseason, most recent postseason uh, performances. And I mean, look, you don't make the Stanley cup final to Boston. If not for Vladdy having a 6.7 point performance in six games against the San Jose sharks, he scored three goals against the Boston Bruins. And then let's not forget what he did against Minnesota last year to get over Minnesota wild, to go to the Colorado avalanche by scoring a hat trick in the one game game and then getting the if not the game winning goal I think it was the tying goal that beat Minnesota to eliminate them so Vladdy's always been a performer in St. Louis despite the off ice stuff that that uh, led to him being gone um, Vladdy's going to get one hell of an ovation tonight and I'm looking forward to it all right um, speaking of the Vladimir Tarasenko trade Alex you mentioned something earlier today to me that I found interesting what did that trade represent in your mind the Tarasenko trade going to New York, bringing Sammy Blay here, sending Vladimir Tarasenko elsewhere. You said you thought that represented something for the way, for the direction that the Blues are yeah. headed. I just, when you look at it now, and Vladdy was a guy that wanted out of St. Louis, um, and you made the trade because you were falling out of a playoffs and you brought in a Sammy Blay. Now, I know that the key to all of this was that first round pick that you got for Vladdy, but you also got Sammy Blay, and it was a guy that. Uh, never wanted to leave St. Louis and a guy that never really performed in the level that the New York Rangers needed from him. He's performing. You've got the Yakub Verana and Vladdy does feel like the start of a trickle down effect of guys that have impacted this Blues team. Yakub Verana. You have Casper um, Kapanen, who they claimed off of waivers. I, I, I look at this now as Doug's probably viewing this and maybe this signifies the, the start of a different identity in terms of a, a group of guys that are out to prove themselves. And I know Doug's trying to do this retool and make them competitive in less than two years. That might be the case, but to get to that point, you got to get guys who have that competitive fire. And rather than just signing somebody to a four or five year deal and say, well, we got this new face on our team. What if Doug goes the direction of now, like a Sammy Blay and a Yakub Verana and a Kasperi Kapanen, guys who have been shunned by their other team, never worked out, they get an opportunity to play for St. Louis and they click. Like that's kind of one of those underrated misfit group mentalities that might benefit the St. Louis Blues. You know who else feels like they have a lot to prove for Who's the St. Louis Blues? Prospects. Prospects. And always in. For a good St. Louis prospect oh. list, and you know what, T Bone, I don't even have. We got five. Corey Prominent to I, talk about. I it? don't even have five of them today. I've got ten of them today. Double the open, T Bone. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario Five, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. Just a phenomenal open, you know, man. We'll get to a T Bone three later. What the hell? Just shut out over there, man. 
Come on. Okay, now this list, it can be very argumentative for people because I'm not going to put this in any particular order because I think all five of these guys have an opportunity. Like, we Alex. All, what? We all know how this list is going to go. Snuggaroo's number one on this list. Of okay, course well he is. Then let's put him in order. I don't want to put him on this one. I'm just going to go off of name recognition no, right you're now. You're going to go with the five prospects to watch is this from your list? least impressive to most impressive is this your list we know that the headliner is jimmy snuggerud give us the other four is Alex. this your list no, snuggerud is number so one tell me where your pie snuggerud is number one on this list bull duke's number two on this list i don't know if people have kept track of this he's got 110 points in 61 games four playoff games so far he's got five points and uh, JR had it in the mailbag where he talked with Tim Taylor, who's in charge of the uh, prospects for St. Louis. And he said the one thing they told Bull Duke was, we want you to be more of a dictator on the ice rather than just a goal scorer. And he's done it, although he's also scored 50 goals in the uh, minors this season. He's also been a guy that's driven play, at least what some analysts have said about him in the uh, minors. So Bull Duke realistically could be fighting for a top nine spot on this team next season. Some people are saying that they're hoping Connor Bedard becomes what Zachary Boltugardi is. I never heard that, but you're absolutely right. 110 points. What's the difference? Oh, wait, another 70-something points from Connor Bedard. Close enough. Fine as it is. Uh, Third on this list is the player that they acquired from the Vegas Golden Knights, Zachary Dean. Uh, Once again, another player who has had his best season in junior hockey, also in the postseason. He had 33 goals in 50 games, but right now through four playoff games, his team uh, has five goals and six assists. So, and I actually... If I could switch them, I think the Blues would view it differently. I'd have Zachary Dean as number one in terms of impacting the Blues next season because I don't think Snuggerud's going to. I think Zachary Dean's going to be your third-line center next year. Like, as much as they're going to talk about wanting to go out and sign a centerman, because of Buchnevich's growth, because of Kapanen's growth, they're going to go after a winger, and Zachary Dean could be one of those guys that gets an opportunity. He plays heavy, and that's what I think Craig Bruby's going to want and some responsibility there. So those are the three that people expect. And I've got two more, so four and five, because BK ruined my entire thing that I was trying to accomplish here. Um, like a Ferrari 2 I hate you, Tanner. Number four on this list, uh, Leo Luf, and I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong. He's playing over in Sweden right now. This is the guy that, like, if people are excited to get, he's not a mongoon because he's only six foot one, but if you want a physical defenseman, this is that guy for you. And I was kind of uncertain what his trajectory was because he was drafted back in 2020 in the third round. Um, Tim Taylor told JR that they're expecting him to be a training camp this upcoming season and compete for a spot in the NHL roster. So this is a guy who, once again, he's playing in the professional league over in Sweden. Um, He's not a point producer, but what he is is he's a defender in front of the net, and he's not afraid to get chippy if you need to. So think Mikola, but with a little bit more offensive ability. And then number five on this list, Another player that could be sneaky, and this is why it's so interesting with the Blues in terms of moving on from maybe some of their defensemen on the left side, because Luf's a left-handed defenseman, and so is the guy that I'm going to mention next is Marc-Andre Gaudet, drafted last year, six foot three, 180 pounds. He's on the left side. He's a plus 27 for his team in juniors right now, also performing in the playoffs, and the scouting report on this kid is that he's an excellent two-way defenseman, His power play status has improved this season, and he's known for his shot. So once again, another left-handed defenseman. They've got size. They've got some ability to be physical in front of their net. 
And these guys that I'm talking about are 20 and 21 years old. So in terms of the retool, as much as it doesn't seem like the Blues have high quality prospects in their minor league system, they actually could have some serious competition next year through training camp with some of these guys. So I would just say keep a close eye on these five players because all five realistically could compete for an NHL spot next season. That's what Tim Taylor told uh, going back to Leo Luf, Mm -hmm. JR about him. Quote, he was a wrecking ball at the World Juniors. He hit everyone in sight. He caught guys with their heads down and got a suspension eventually. He's playing in Finland now. He's come a long way. He's a simple first pass guy, but he plays really hard. He catches a lot of guys off guard. He's a little bit of a throwback with his physical play. We'll bring him in as soon as his season is over, but we're hoping his team goes a long way. I feel like most of what I just said is music to Blues fans' ears. Absolutely. If like, you is, wanted Ben Sherratt, this is a younger Ben Sherratt. What if you've got a guy that is Tyler Tucker with skill? Yeah. Like, uh, imagine that for a second. Like, hey, Tyler Tucker, for all that he's done for the Blues this year, he's a, I think he's a future third-pairing defenseman. There's nothing wrong with that. You no. want those guys, especially that are cheap, cost-controlled for future years. But if Leo Luf can be that with a little bit more upside... It's a nice guy to have in your system. And there were two other guys that I didn't even mention because I didn't want to upset T-Bone that I did more than five because I stick to the guidelines of the list that we create here. But we got a couple of texts asking about this uh, Michael Buckinger, uh, who they signed to an entry-level contract. Yeah, he's got 69 points on the season for his junior team, but he's 18 years old, further away because defensemen take a long time to develop. And they also he's got- in the O. Yeah, he's in the O. Big O. And the other uh, the other guy is a, a Russian, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but another 18 year old. He's also six foot three and plays from the left side on defense that they drafted last year in the fourth round. You've got guys who can be internal competitions for a second, third line pairing, which is a good thing for this Blues team to have to have a lot of those weapons. The problem is I don't think any of these guys are number one defenseman caliber. But if you get Justin Falk playing to the level that he is in Colton Pareko, if you ship some guys out in the offseason, you got some guys who can compete this year. He's Alex Ferrario. That's his Ferrario 5. If you missed any of it, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101ESPN app. It's where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coming up next, we'll dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. at your wedding uh for my wife it did for me it didn't like her makeup didn't stay like she thought it was going to and so she was very upset about that sure i'm not asking to like put anybody down oh sorry he was asking a question and he wasn't happy with my answer no no no. no. i'm just saying like i i think of most weddings something goes awry right yeah, like but- one of our friends their um their party bus had no air conditioning in the oh, heat of the summer that i'm out on that i'll drive myself Another one, uh, they sent the wrong party bus. And so we were all like crammed in like sardines on it. Like stuff goes wrong at weddings, right? Yeah, not to that ilk for me, though. One of the best pieces of advice, I think Anthony Stalter gave it to me, actually. He said, hey, listen, something's going to go wrong on your wedding day. There's nothing you can do about it at that point in time. Just move on 
and be there for your wife if she's upset about it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. That's all you can do. And mm-hmm. just try to make the most out of your day and have fun. I- enjoy every moment of it. I'm not sure that I could enjoy my wedding after this happens, though. A bride and groom in India decided during their wedding, this is during the ceremony at the end, to celebrate with a sparkler gun. Now, this looks like an actual gun, but it, it like, sends sparkles out of it. It Uh shoots out sparkles. Already a bad idea. Yeah. You're never going to believe it, but it ended poorly. Huh. So... The bride is shooting out the sparkles and everything looks great. It's beautiful. And then suddenly, boom, kickback comes on. Nice. And it like, it's basically a a launch of fire into her chest. Oh gosh. And she catches on fire and it, she's able to stop, drop and roll real quick, but she freaks out and starts reaching for her husband. It's like, help, help. It's gotta be the most decorative stop, drop and roll ever. Guys. Ladies out there, everybody wants to have a special moment at their wedding. If I could have one piece of advice for you and yours, just don't go with the sparkler guns. That's not necessary. There's so many easier things to do. Balloons, candles, rice. You want to go outside? Throw sparkles. Right after your ceremony or during your reception. I've seen this before at night and you give everybody a sparkler of their own. And you, you go out there and you have a good old time with that. The kids are enjoying it. Whatever. More power to you. Let's go ahead and avoid the sparkler gun. Oh, man. Feels like that was bound it's in Just like poorly. that uh, gender reveal that turned into an entire forest fire. Like, t- repercussions are going to happen, right? This is this is what happens with it all. So Three, we're just going to go about it. 314-399-9646. Uh, this one comes from the 314. Guys, my cousin's party bus that we were on uh, between the ceremony and the reception popped a tire. We were 30 minutes late to the reception as a result. (laughs) Oh, that's rough. That sucks, too, because there's nothing you could do about that. You just got to sit there and wait for them to change the tire and, you know, changing a tire on one of those party buses. They're going to take a little bit of time. Mm. Somebody else from the 618. And once again, as always, the... uh, the applause coming from all directions. Maybe if you guys weren't frat boy, frat boy, I can't say that word on the radio, you wouldn't have wedding stories to tell about what went wrong. Ah, joke's on you. I don't have a wedding story. So. Simplic- ah, joke's on you. I wasn't in a frat. Simplicity is beautiful. I was. Get married at the courthouse by yourselves. Get out of here, man. What was that noise? Yeah, was that the, like the, the wrong answer? No, it's just like, yeah, what, what is being fret? Like, what, simplicity is beautiful. No, our beautiful wedding was fine. It was beautiful. It was our beautiful. beautiful wedding was beautiful. It was beautiful. You know, I, I don't I'm see gonna, the problem. Are we going to ask this question? And I wasn't at Alex's wedding, so I wouldn't You would have been if, if we would have. I yeah. would have invited you to I the bachelor at, party, buddy. Thanks, man. I was at BK's wedding. Did you guys do something at the end when you, like, Left after the like wedding ceremony? Yeah, no. I didn't think so. We went okay. over to, so we we had everybody, we, we did ours downtown, and then afterwards, we stayed at Live by Lowe's right over by the ballpark, um, and then we just went over to Ballpark Village, had a good old time over we there. Did the, yeah. We did the, we did the, release See, I, the balloons at ours okay. at the end of the night. I was going to say, I didn't think I remembered anything of the case, but I was like, man, this is going to be really nah. bad if there we was something the and I just don't over. remember it. Okay. The, the only thing that went wrong for ours, um, I guess it was kind of twofold. One, 
the lines for drinks were really long when people first arrived at at the wedding. Like really long. Oh I yeah, thought, that was. I got there early and I got my drink and I said, "This is it." Because I'm not getting back up. <laughs> After that, everything was fine at the bars. Like once everybody had that first drink, there was no rush to get there again. But that first drink, it took a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and my drink was a old fashioned. They didn't totally know how to make them, and so instead they just put like. A fifth of well, if you were a part of a stupid frat group, you <laughs> jerk. You wouldn't have that so problem. The lines were long, and so our DJ uh, told me as I was coming out, he was like, "Hey, wait a little while downstairs. We we need to get these people sitting down before we bring right. in the wedding party and everything." I was like, "All right, no problem." He's like, "But I needed to ask you, what song do you guys want to come out to?" I was like, "Oh my god, we haven't even thought about this. I have no idea." Really. They usually ask that kind of like they in did. advance. We just totally forgot oh, about it. Gotcha. With everything else going on, we just didn't even think about it. So we stopped. There's an elevator system, and everybody else is on the first floor. Me and two other guys went up to go check on what was going on on the top floor or third floor. We stop on the second floor so that way we're not, like, talking in the middle of the upstairs, right? <laughs> so we're stopping on the second floor. My wife is downstairs. She's freaking out. Because she doesn't know where I've gone. I've disappeared at this point in time for like five minutes. Were you hiding in a closet? <laughs> Fair. Touche. Well played. Um, Air five. Air five. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the only other thing that went wrong. My wife was a sweetheart the day of the wedding. She turned into Bridezilla for a roughly three minutes yeah. while I was disappearing away from her. But after that, everything else was guys song? I don't remember at all. Man, I don't remember a lot the about your wedding. when we came in, yeah. uh, we went to the Michael Jordan, like, Oh, Bulls yeah, the Bulls theme song. That's what it was. We were introduced uh, to. From the 314, I bet Fret guy comment, I bet he's a super fun dude at uh, weddings. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he oh, probably leaves yeah. early like Alex. Uh, whoa. <laughs> oh. Whoa. Sorry that I had a six-month-old at home. It's okay, Vicky. Air five. five. <laughs> Sorry. Touche. Touche. Coming up next, Dylan Carlson. He's taking center stage for the center field job. Is he going to run with it this time? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Once again, an opportunity to, for Carlson with Nuke Bar on the injured list and O'Neill, um, at least for now, you know, having to, to work his way back in the good graces of the manager go take it mm-hmm. go go shut the door or 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 attempt to to lock it i mean but we've had that opportunity before they're seeing some positive developments from dylan that they asked him to work on this offseason and and they're encouraged by that and now the encouragement that he's they've given he's given them and the opportunity that o'neill has opened up it's once again a chance to go run with it that was Ben Fredrickson on the best podcast in baseball. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, this is a potential opportunity that's in front of Dylan Carlson because with the whole Tyler O'Neill saga as the backdrop, Dylan Carlson is starting to play well again. And if you look at the way that he's going about it, it's not just, hey, you know, playing a nice center field, a few hits are dropping out. No, he's he's hitting the ball with authority. He has performed well in spring training against right-handed pitchers, and it's a super small sample size, but it seems to have carried over so far during the regular season as well. You look at the hard hit rates for the St. Louis Cardinals. The best on the team right now is Jordan Walker in terms of the percentage of the balls that he's put in play that are hit at 95 miles per hour or above. 
Tied for second on the team is Dylan Carlson with Alec Burleson. Those are the top three right now. Walker, Burleson, and Carlson. That is something that in the past we've criticized him for. He has been a guy that, while the average is pretty high, it, you're not sure how sustainable it is because he just doesn't hit the, whole, the ball very hard very often. This year he has so far. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because do you agree with Ben Fredrickson that he can take this job and run with it right now. I think he can, especially with this Tyler O'Neill stuff. And, and I mean, if you put that aside, Carlson has the skill to take that role because I view this as the lineup it does have a lot of pop in it now with um, with what we've seen from Alec Burleson, although Burleson's time would, would diminish when Lars Newtbark comes back. Of course, now you're seeing it with Nolan Gorman. Brendan Donovan has showcased it. Dylan Carlson, if he can get right and avoid those splits that we've seen in the past, he's a guy that is more of the contact, get on base, and bring that speed to the base paths that the Cardinals can absolutely utilize. But then you bring the Tyler O'Neill conversation into all of this. If if Tyler has fallen out of grace a little bit with Ali Marmol, that's going to give Dylan Carlson the opportunity to not look over his shoulder and think, oh, who's going to take my spot? Maybe this is an opportunity for Dylan Carlson to settle in and say, all right, now I can jump back into center field. I'll say this, the, the short time that we've seen it this season with Dylan Carlson in center field, uh, I feel a little more comfortable with his defense than watching Tyler O'Neill play in the center field position. Yeah, I, I like what we've seen from him in center field. I mean, yesterday made a really good play sliding and making that backhanded catch. I, I think he's got a shot just because And I, 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 in that podcast, the best podcast in baseball, they made they made the point of, you know, I don't think Ali Marmol is going to dislike Tyler O'Neill and punish him, but I, I do think a message was sent. And if the message was sent and in that one game you saw Carlson play well and hit right-handed pitching, Ollie's going to stick with just the quote-unquote hot hand, which is Dylan Carlson right now. So I, I do think he's got a shot to do it. I was a little surprised he got leapfrogged by Alec Burleson coming into the season just based on the spring that Dylan had. So I, I, I think Carlson's got a chance to run away with this. And if he's hitting the ball hard and you start to see him hit right-handed pitching, he is more of the player that the Cardinals thought they had when he was coming up as a prospect than the guy we saw at the end of the year last year, who I think was just basically hurt. I think the wrist injury really was a big factor and part of the reason why he struggled so mightily with right-handed pitching. All of this begs the question of, like, what? this is not something they have to answer immediately, but it is something that eventually will have to be answered, and somebody asked it on the text line. Guys, what does that mean for Tyler O'Neill If Dylan Carlson takes this job and runs with it, he says, you know what, I'm announcing my presence with authority. I'm hitting the ball hard. I'm playing quality defense. You guys can count on me. I'm a switch hitter that against left-handed pitching can be at or near the top of your order and against right-handed pitching you feel good with me being towards the bottom of your order I can play every day and be a quality player for this team where does that leave Tyler O'Neill? because he has this is something that I think has gone a little under the radar because of the yeah. with um the hustle thing Tyler O'Neill is playing well like the numbers don't jump off the page but he's hitting the ball really hard again and if you look at any of the underlying numbers, they're back to where they were in 2021. They're not where they were last year. They're where they were in 2021. And eventually, that's going to signify some really good things for him. He's gotten a little unlucky so far this year. The strikeouts aren't over the top crazy. He's at, he's at four of them in 18 at-bats so far this year. I think there's reason to believe he could be a high-level producer for you in this lineup as well. But if you're going with Carlson, you've already established that Walker is your everyday right fielder right now. 
Newtbar and Burleson have done nothing to lose their opportunities whenever Newt is healthy again. What do you do with Tyler O'Neill? I mean, I hate to say it, but they flip-flop themselves. Tyler O'Neill puts himself into what Dylan Carlson was to start the season, where you're that fringe fourth, fifth outfielder, depending on how they view Alec Burleson moving forward. And it's tough to say because we know Tyler O'Neill has the MVP status that he can get back to, but... One, if you fall out of favor with the manager, that's not going to bode well for your playing time. And two, if the other guys are hitting, and that's what this really comes down to, because Tyler O'Neill's opportunity will only come when slash if Lars Newtbar gets back and starts to struggle, or if Jordan Walker starts to struggle, or when Dylan Carlson gets back to that struggling. But I mean, it's not like he gets just shoved into, okay, well, now you'll use him in the DH spot, or maybe you'll just insert him late into games. I think he falls back into what Dylan Carlson was if this happens to where you're that guy that's battling with Alec Burleson to get playing time. I, see, I, I think you could put him at the DH spot, but specifically against left-handed pitching because Gorman has not had an at-bat against a lefty yet, and right now Juan Yepes is that guy against left-handers. And Juan Yepes, as much as I love him, hasn't been hitting much really since spring training started. So I, I think what you would want to do is you would try and figure out, okay, who is best served? Who do we like best defensively in center field? If they say it's Tyler O'Neill, okay, then Tyler O'Neill starts in center field against left-handed pitching. Dylan Carlson becomes the either left fielder or he moves into that DH spot, depending if you want Juan Yepes or another right-handed bat in the lineup. Like, I think that's how you start to get Tyler O'Neill at bats. Now, against right-handed pitching, I think it just comes down to what is Alec Burleson doing? Because if Alec Burleson is hitting or Lars Newpar when he's healthy – then it is a conversation of Tyler O'Neill versus Dylan Carlson. And if Dylan Carlson has moved his way into good graces with uh, Ali Marmol, then I think you're right. I, I think you're looking at Tyler O'Neill as the fourth outfielder that comes off the bench when you need a power bat against a left-handed pitcher late in the game to see if he can pinch hit for Nolan Gorman potentially in the DH spot or Brandon Donovan if he wanted to or somebody like that, one of these lefties that you have, pinch hit for them and kind of take the role that he had yesterday, which was come off the bench and try and provide some sort of power if you can when the spot comes your way. See, I, I just would let Nolan Gorman take his lumps in that aspect of it. And I know you want to play the right ability, but... I want him to get more opportunities against those lefties to where he's an all-around hitter because I don't want Nolan Gorman, for what we're seeing from him, I want him to be an everyday player, not a platoon player. Uh, somebody says, oh, my God, guys, they've only played five games so far this year. Well, six, first of all. Um, <laughs> second of all, I <laughs> I, know, I, th- I thought that was fair. Was I, it? Okay. I, I, get, I get what you're coming from there, which is there's a lot of things that are being said that are about a very small sample size. And... I know a lot of people immediately point to, we'll trade him, trade him, trade him. You can just get rid of him. Get rid of him. Where are you sending him? And what are you getting rid of him for? Prospects. Tyler <laughs> Tyler O'Neill is still an asset to this team. And I think he is worth more right now than what you would get for him at this point in the season. And the reason why I say that is because he can help your big league club. What you're getting back for him at this point in time is probably what Alex said. Prospects. You're going to send him to a team that's trying to contend. And in return, they're sending you... I would assume some kind of lower level prospects or maybe guys that are close to the big league level. That's not what you want. You want a pitcher. If you're going to trade Tyler O'Neill, whether it's now or as we get closer to the trade deadline, you're trying to pull off a deal where you, you get somebody that can insert into your rotation or some help for your rotation and your bullpen. I don't think you're getting that right now because it's still April. We're six games into the season or according to this text or five. <laughs> so, I think that this is one of those things where we kind of got to be patient and none of us like to do that, but 
where does that what does this mean for Tyler O'Neill? In my opinion, it it means you wait. We wait to see what happens with Alec Burleson. Is what we've seen real? We wait to see what it looks like when Lars Newbar comes back from this thumb injury. Is he looking like Dylan Carlson did last year? Because if he is, hey, maybe that's your spot. And it's just Tyler O'Neill is now your left fielder. Dylan Carlson starts in center, and you got Jordan Walker in right. What if Jordan Walker starts to struggle three weeks from now? It's possible. What if Dylan Carlson stops hitting? Maybe Tyler O'Neill then is inserted once again into your uh, starting lineup as the center fielder. There are just still a lot of questions, and I think Tyler O'Neill has more value to your team today than he does as a trade asset today. It's going to be clunky. It's going to be one of those things where we need to find out a lot more over the next two, three months. But I think by the trade deadline, I do agree with this. I don't think all of the guys in your outfield right now will be in your on your roster, much less in your lineup, once we get to the trade deadline. I do think they're going to have to make some decisions at that point in time, and, and that's how you potentially get one of those starters or pitchers in general. And I think that's where Tyler O'Neill comes into play because if I had to, to rank him, we did this last week, and I know five games into the season. Alec Burleson was number one. I, I think he and Tyler O'Neill might be battling that out in terms of if they get to that point where they need to get a pitcher, those are your trade chips. Coming up next, it's T-Bone's favorite time of the week. Let's play a game of Believe It or Not. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service X line. We play our favorite game. Sing our favorite song. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Nine six four six is the air comfort service text line for believe it or not. You guys give us a scenario. We're telling it. We are telling you if we are believing it we or not. Out band. Yeah, well, we're talking about band. Kicked out, man. It's TNA. <laughs> what the hell what just happened? happened? I had a brain fart. I was making fun of BK, and then I hit the wrong button. <laughs> well, no more. Believe it or not, it's over. All right, go to break. We'll be back after this. <laughs> My God. Well, now oh, our boss is upset with us. Believe, it. Believe it or not, Jack Flaherty throws six scoreless innings oh, tomorrow against question. the Brewers. <laughs> How many walks are you putting in here? I didn't say that. Said six scoreless. <laughs> he Tough. didn't walk seven. He probably would have done uh, I've been, that I've, last outing. I've been told that Jack pitches really well at Miller Park. Yeah, the morning show said that. I wouldn't look into the numbers on it. <laughs> Why? Is it that bad? Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to believe this one. Six Got a score. Six ERA there. Here's the part that I won't. Here's the part that I won't believe on this. Second worst part. Maybe he'll throw scoreless, but he's not going six innings. So I'm not going to believe this one. I'm not going to believe this either. I think you see improvements in Jack's stuff in this outing. I don't know if he's going six scoreless innings. I think he probably goes maybe five and gives up like three earned runs and cuts the walks down to like hopefully like maybe two have you seen what milwaukee's doing offensively so far this year boys oh yeah what it's not gonna be a problem 
Jack's got this. Didn't they put nine runs up on the Mets? No. Based on my numbers <laughs> that I'm seeing, they struggled to score so far this year. Oh, okay. That's how this works, right? Yeah. Um, that's that's good. I uh, Just glad you're creating your own numbers. I think that Jack is going to be great against the Brewers, oh, and they go. win two to nothing against Brandon Woodruff. You've got your ace going up against their ace. Uh, I've got him throwing six scoreless. So, yeah, I- I'm believing this. Alex, what do you got for Believe It or Not, buddy? So, did a wonderful Ferrario 5 earlier in the show that you can go check out later on. Believe it or not, the Blues will have two different faces in their top six next season on defense. Two different faces in their top six defensively? Like yeah. Tucker doesn't count, Tucker right? Tucker would be considered different. Okay. So, like, I'm, I'm, so it won't be. There will be two guys that are separate from Pareko, Falk, Letty, Krug, Scandella and Bortuzzo. Uh, I'm believing that because I think at least one of them is going to be Perinovic. And I do think Tucker is going to be in your top six next year, at least to open up the season. So I'm going to believe this. I think those two, uh, Perinovic and Tucker, I could even see them being paired as your third pairing defensively. Uh, I think that's, yeah, I, I would believe this. I think I would believe this too because I, I can see Tucker. And then, like you said, I, I, I see them making a handful of moves to where it is. They can't come back with the same six. And honestly, I thought Tucker almost counted on this because we've seen quite a bit of Tucker this year. So I I want to believe this mostly because I just re- they really need a change yeah. on that defensive pairing. For I would me. not have believed this if you didn't include Tucker. I do think that's the differentiating factor. But the me. hard part with this, I'm believing this, but the hard part with this is that means you're getting rid of two of Krug, Letty, Scandella. And that's the part that I'm skeptical about. Or one of them is just a healthy scratch. But I don't think you're going to be, I mean, unless Scandella's hurt, I don't think you're going to be healthy scratching if those guys are on this roster. You're going to be playing those guys. I don't know. I I could see Tucker being a seventh defenseman and Perunovic maybe being in the minors again if you've got all of these guys. That's the part that I'm most intrigued by. And I think Scandella is going to be an interesting trade target this offseason for teams. If I was a team, I would be targeting him. If I just needed a guy, I mean, he's one year, 3.2 mil. That's but the nothing. injuries are going to be the part that I think people are going to hesitate with. The same with Tory Krug. That's why if I had to pick one that might be intriguing to teams, it's Nick Luddy. Because teams might view this as Nick Luddy's used as a number one defenseman or a top defenseman. He's a better second or third pair defenseman on a team that could compete. T-Bone, what do you got for Believe It or Not? Believe It or Not, Nolan Gorman will finish with a top three OPS on the team. Currently leads the Cardinals through six games in OPS at a remarkable 1446. Well, that can't sustain over time. No, that's real. That's real. I, yeah. I think that's probably true. I do not think he's going to get on base 57% of the time this season. Although Paul Goldschmidt's actually one-upping him, getting on base roughly 60% of the time so far this year. Can't hit a home run. I love Ridiculous. Uh, he nearly did yesterday. That was insane. Oh, yeah? What's nearly mean? <laughs> Nothing. Because I nearly hit one at a softball home run derby. People don't give me that credit. I am going That's to believe fair. this. I I think <laughs> Nolan Gorman, you said before the season that he would be an all-star, right? I said, yeah. I think he's got a real chance to do exactly that. He has been super impressive so far this year, guys. And I think he's going to start playing more in the field as we get further into the season and guys start needing days off. He'll, he'll spell Arnato maybe once a week, something like that at third. I think he'll give you a day here or there at second for Donovan as well. I'm going to believe this. I think Nolan Gorman is going to be a guy that we look back on and say the Cardinals were right for keeping him instead of trying to trade him in a package for either a catcher or a starting pitcher in the offseason. You said top three on the team in OPS? Yeah. See, that's where I won't believe this because I think he'll be edged out one, of course, by Goldie and Arenado. And I... It's going to be wild to say. I think Jordan Walker could edge him out there. Hmm. 
especially for the more he grows throughout this season, the more confidence he builds. I could see Jordan Walker being one of those top three guys. So I would believe this because one thing that I've noticed, and we'll see if it continues, but early on, uh, Nolan Gorman's willing to take walks. He's got five on the year, one, one intentional walk as well. And the area where I would be a little worried in terms of Jordan Walker maybe not being able to get there is he's drawn no walks so far in six games. And again, that's a very small size. But I, I think there's something different about Gorman and the way he's seeing the ball right now. So I think he's going to draw more walks than we're expecting. Jordan Walker, I think, is kind of more of a free swinger and not going to be taking as many walks. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, Tennessee trades Ryan Tannehill and trades up to number three with the Arizona Cardinals in order to draft their next franchise quarterback. I'm not going to believe this because, one, trading Ryan Tannehill is not going to be as easy as you'd think, and two they like put stock into Malik Willis last season eh, and, and did I, they, they I started mean, Josh Dobbs over <laughs> well, I get that but I just to trade into the top three is not going to be an easy task unless they're trading Derrick Henry to do that which I, I mean the Arizona Cardinals would absolutely probably trade for a Derrick Henry thinking that's going to make them better I'm going to say no though I like the idea, but I'm going to say no as well. I'm not going to believe it. It is weird that we're starting to hear a lot more buzz about Ryan Tannehill's future all of a sudden, which makes me why it sounds like a good idea and it sounds like something that's being considered, but I, I'm not going to believe it. I, I think they stick with Ryan Tannehill. I, I think if you do it, I, honestly, what I would do if I'm Tennessee, if you're looking to just move Ryan Tannehill and look for your next quarterback, I would just trade him and then start Malik Willis. You're probably going to be bad, and then hopefully you tank to be, get Caleb Williams next year. Like That's what I would do. I've seen a lot of buzz about this. Surprisingly, um, because I would not want to draft a quarterback into that situation. I think the Titans are devoid of talent right now. Like you look up and down that roster, it is clear they are in a full-blown rebuild. They're not as bad as the Cardinals are, but they're pretty bad, man. They don't have a whole lot of talent on defense in particular. They've lost a lot of guys from that side of the ball. Can they trade Ryan Tannehill? Sure. Should they trade Ryan Tannehill? Honestly, probably. If they did so uh, at the draft, they would take on an $18 million cap hit. Who cares? It saves you 18 mil this year. Ryan Tannehill is not helping you win anything meaningful this season because you're not good enough to win anything meaningful this year. I would trade him. I do understand the value of Derrick Henry as a franchise icon, but if you're just do, if you're being cold hearted and you're doing this the way that you think like, Hey, for the best of our team, you should probably trade Derrick Henry. That would be the move that you decide to make here, the way that Carolina did with Christian McCaffrey. It's hard to do. It's going to frustrate your fans, but it ends up being the best thing for you. And the, the part different- on this that I don't believe, I'm not believing that they're going to or should trade up. That would be a bad idea, in my opinion. The difference, too, with the Christian McCaffrey to Derrick Henry is like Christian McCaffrey was injured all the time. So it really wasn't like the identity of that offense. The identity of the Titans offense is Derrick Henry. I I guess the question is, like, how long can that sustain? Because he is 29 years old. We know once you hit that age 30 season, it can go south real quick. And as recently as 2021, he did miss half the year uh, with a leg issue. So I I love Derrick Henry, guys. You you know that. I think he's one of the most dominant players in the NFL, and I think he's a potential future Hall of Famer. But if I'm in a spot where my team stinks, I'm not going to be building around a 30-year-old running back. Mm. The wild part about all of this is you don't trade AJ Brown. We're talking about the Titans competing for a Super Bowl because I mean, like it adds an instant to their offense of thinking like, damn, this is going to be a really good offense. It makes me think that they're 
Like, if they had A.J. Brown still, I think I would be in on them taking a quarterback this year. But you have no weapons for that quarterback right, right now that you can rely on. Traylon Burks might be good. Couldn't stay healthy. I have no idea if yeah. he's going to be good or not right now. So that I think that's right where it is. I don't know that they would be competing this year, but I, they definitely uh, would be closer to being able to do so. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, man, it's just T-Bone's day. Really, T-Bone's <laughs> hour. The T-Bone 3 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line from the 636. Finally, it's time for a good list. That's right. It's time for the T-Bone 3. T-Bone, hit your open. T-Bone, T-Bone. All right. Three things mean take good list. Tell me three things that I didn't take away from that homestand that I didn't know already. Well, all right, I'll tell you. Yeah, let's see. Ooh, the offense is great, guys. Number three, Ferrario, if you'd watch the games, you'd see Jordan Walker is an absolute freaking stud and should win NL Rookie of the what Year. What a great freaking list. Hey, whoa, whoa, Mr. Jimmy Snuggerud, who's already been on every hey, list. I didn't try to put list. him at the top of the list. Somebody made me put him at the top of the list. Jordan Walker, 333 average. He's got an OPS of 902, 147 OPS plus. And guys, I, I mentioned it earlier, hitting 500 against breaking balls so far this year. The 500 slugging percentage. Pretty impressive for a guy that can't even drink a Budweiser right now. Uh, Jordan Walker has impressed the heck out of me, Alex. I, I thought he'd be good. I didn't know he would be this good this quick. The one question, the one concern that I have so far about him is that he is pounding the ball into the ground too often and still getting on base. Yeah, that's what's remarkable Remarkable about it is he's hitting the, whole, the ball so hard that it doesn't really matter thus far. He's got a 67% ground ball rate, which is among the highest in all of Major League Baseball through the first week of the season. I, I know that a lot of people will say, oh, that's fine. It's not a big deal. He does need to get that corrected, and he will. He's 20 years old, and in his minor league career, he did not really have this problem. I think this is as much about the way that he's being pitched as it is anything else. He's finding a way to get on. He's finding a way to hit the ball hard despite this. But if you look at his launch angle, it's actually actually negative. So on average, he hits the ball down. It's not what you want to do. He'll get that corrected, but that is me nitpicking. He's been so much better than I thought he was going to be early in the season. Yeah, that's the part for me, too. I mean, you're hitting it into the ground and still finding ways to get on base. I mean, it's to the point now where defenses have trouble making plays on Jordan Walker because just when you think you've got the throw at shortstop or third base, he legs out a single because how fast he is. So, uh, I mean, T-Bone's right. I mean, he is a freak of nature right now watching him play out there, and that is a great thing. Watching him when he's on the base path standing next to the second baseman and shortstops, you're thinking this dude should not be playing baseball. He should be playing in the NBA. Number two, guys, let's don't sleep on Big Fundy. We're not talking enough about the start Paul Goldschmidt's had. Because oh, let's guy not forget. Home run? Yeah, well, he's got one. The, the, <laughs> let's not forget that Paul Goldschmidt started the year hot last year. Oh, and then he carried it all the way up until the end of the season and won an MVP. Guys, he's just been as good. 450 batting average through the first six games. That's sixth in Major League Baseball. 
593 on base percentage, which is second, 650 slug, 1243 OPS, which is 12th in all of baseball. Oh, and he's only 147% above league average right now. One area that I disagree with some of my analytics friends on is that batting order doesn't matter and protection is not a big deal when it comes to the lineup. I disagree with that. I think that pitchers are able to work around you a little bit differently if you don't have a guy in front of you and behind you that are high-level hitters. I do think this is something worth keeping an eye on for Paul Goldschmidt. This year, the lineup doesn't add as much easy outs around him as it has in previous years. Last year, with Nolan Arenado behind him, hitting the way that Nolan Arenado did, we saw what happened. He ended up having the best season of his major league career. This year, he's still got that same Nolan Arnato behind him, but he's also got better hitters in front of him as well. You got to pitch him a little differently right now, man. But you are also so afraid of him doing damage because he's hitting the ball as hard as he ever has that he's got a 22% bleep and walk rate right now. He's not striking out. He's getting on base a ton. He's hitting the ball hard when he does connect. This is what we were hoping for after he came out of the WBC. He said he'd be ready to go. It helped him the last time that he played. I... We're seeing it again, man. Yeah, well, and on top of all of that, I, I mean, you've got the guy that typically doesn't do well in the first month of the season. And then like last year, you started off so hot. You're thinking, damn, are we seeing an MVP run? And he backed that up. The one thing with Goldie that I have noticed not to be negative and kill the buzz, oh but, God, but the defense, three, he's missed a couple of plays. Energy. And granted, these have been very difficult plays. It's been diving plays at first base, but it's rare with Goldie to see that because he's typically so good at first base. I mean, he's got these gold gloves for a reason. There was the one that he dove for the other day. I don't think he should have had it. It would have been an impressive play, but that was one that got underneath his glove. And then there was the other one where he wasn't able to uh, catch the ball. The first base line. Yeah. Um, so those are the two that kind of immediately come to mind. He's a negative one defensive run save so far in the season. It hasn't been a disaster. That's over how Nolan Arenado started two years ago and still yeah. won a gold glove. He's so. going to be awesome. Like you, Goldie's the last guy that I'm worrying about defensively. And number one in this T-bone three, the starters need to start on time. They are struggling in innings one through two. Innings one through two so far for the St. Louis Cardinals rotation. They have given up a total of 20 earned runs. 28 hits, 7 walks in that stretch. They have a 15 ERA, the Cardinals starters do, in innings 1 and 2, and opponents are hitting 436 against them. Innings 3 to 6, they haven't gotten to 5 and 6 very often in terms of where the starters are at. They've only given up 3 earned runs. So that's to my point that we've talked about in this stretch in which we've been dealing with the text line yelling about the starting pitching. It's usually just one or two innings, and it happens to be the first two innings. They are just getting knocked around early, and it's leading to the Cardinals offense having to try and make up for that and climb uphill early on. It's funny. We're doing a Cardinals topic, which ties into the blue season also. Start on time. It's been a problem all year long. The thing about it, too, is like it's not your first time through the order. You're giving up two runs and saying we're still in this baseball game. I mean, the times that these guys have gotten blasted, we're talking a four, five, six run deficit for the Cardinals. The crazy part about all of this is every one of those games, it felt like the Cardinals had the chance to come back into because of the offense. But it just guys typically aren't this way. I mean, Miles Michaelis is never a guy that gets blasted in the first inning. It's usually later into the game if he's struggling. The same can be said about Jordan Montgomery, the Toronto Blue Jays start. It was, what, the second inning that he just got given up three runs and six hits in that outing. So it's a concern, absolutely. And it's 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 crazy that we're doing this narrative because I would have thought it was going to be a walk problem. But as we've talked about, the command isn't so much you're giving up walks. The command is you're giving up doubles and home runs every time they're missing their spots. So I think some of this is pretty easy to explain. 
I think some of it is here's the top five in the order for the Toronto Blue Jays. Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, Varsho, Kirk. Pretty damn good. Why do they end up giving up runs in the first inning? Because you're guaranteed to see those guys at the top of the order. And those are the best hitters that are going up against your starter. Same thing is true to a degree against Atlanta. The top of their order, Acuna, Olsen, Riley, Darno, whatever. I don't really totally understand why he's hitting there. But Harris and then Albies. Those are really good hitters that are at the top of the lineup of the two teams that you have faced so far. And so at the beginning of games, yeah, you're more likely to give up runs because those guys are guaranteed only in that inning to see your pitcher. So I think that's really the explanation for what we're talking about here um, is that the best hitters have done damage against the Cardinals. And I think that's the concern that people have about them in October is those are the hitters that you're going to see in October. These are the guys that can do damage against you. And you've got to find a way to be able to get those guys out. Typically, it's with swing and miss stuff. Cardinals don't have a lot of that. they got to get it back on track. Now, I will say, this is the first two innings in which they have struggled. Now, a big chunk of that is in the first inning because of those lineups you're talking about. But it is an issue for some reason first time through the order. Yeah. And typically, and this is where we've talked about where it kind of should fall back to the normal that we've been talking about all day. Typically, the first time through the order is when the hitters really struggle, and then they start to make the adjustments on the pitchers. It's been the opposite for the Cardinals' rotation so far, where they, for some reason, are struggling the first time through the order, and then they seem to settle down. I think that will end up equalizing itself back out at some point. Coming up next, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind. Speaking of that pitching, I'm on Pitching Island. I'm feeling good about it, Alex. I'll explain why coming up next here in the BK and Ferrario Rewind on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. When you go there, you'll see our first segment of the day was me yelling at the clouds about how the Cardinals pitching is not as bad as people are making it out to be. Alex, my very simple point on this is that I think people are having two different conversations and they're conflating them into one. If your point is that the Cardinals have a problem with their rotation for the playoffs and when they play teams like Toronto or Atlanta, you're projecting. What is this going to look like in October? I'm more than happy to have that conversation, and I do think there are real questions and concerns, frankly, about what this rotation is in October. If we're talking, though, about what it's going to look like 1 through 162, yeah, it's been bad 1 through 6. I can't pretend that it hasn't. I think it's going to get a whole lot better. Looked this up earlier today since the end of the 2020 season. So the 2021, 22, and then the start of this year. I'm including these bad numbers in it. Michaelis, Flaherty, Mats, Montgomery, they have thrown a total of 920 innings, and they've done so to a 3.7 ERA. To put a t- team on that, that is the same as the Rays team rotation since the start of the 2021 season, which is good for seventh best in all of Major League Baseball. I think this rotation is going to be fine. I think you're going to get through the regular season and you're going to look back and Mike Lewis was solid. Jack Flaherty was at a minimum, a solid middle of the rotation starter. Steven Matt, same thing, same thing for Jordan Montgomery. I think we're good with those four guys being in your rotation in the regular season. The Cardinals problem with their pitching 
is not about one through 162. It's about getting through October. And that is where Jack Flaherty comes to center stage. We'll see him again tomorrow night. Well, and it also comes into it for me of you're trending in the same direction as you typically do in the regular season of we talked about this season, maybe fighting for one of those top two spots in the National League. And what if it's just the NL Central once again? And if that's the case, great. You win the NL Central, but you're talking about a wildcard team. And that's where the regular season can hinder your postseason because it doesn't give you an ideal path. And the pitching can be better than this. And it can help a team fight for a top two spot and a buy, but you've got to start seeing signs of it sooner rather than later because you dig yourself a hole that it's going to be difficult to dig yourself out of. From the 636, BK, you're the weatherman with the way that you use data. The average temperature over time does not predict today's temperature. Climates change. That's true. Global warming is a thing. It was like 78 degrees the other day. I'm not touching that one. Oh, we're talking Um, baseball. (laughs) I'm not trying to tell you that... Because these guys have always been solid, they're also going to be solid this year. But I do think that the back of the baseball card is a pretty good indicator, typically. Like, we didn't know what to expect out of Jordan Walker this season because we have no history of what he looks like at the big league level. We did have a pretty good idea, though, that Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado were going to be good. We had a pretty good idea that Tyler O'Neill is going to be inconsistent. But overall, you look at the back of the—you look at the end of the season, you look back at it, the numbers end up being at least solid at a minimum. We had a pretty good idea that Brendan Donovan's going to find a way on base. You know how many walks he has so far this year, Alex? Basically zero. Say, I thought he didn't have any. What is basically zero? I, I don't remember if he got a walk yesterday, so I wanted to cover my own ass, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> is that like the half a point that it confuses Jamie and betting? But going into yesterday, he had zero walks on the season. He is up to two now, of course, because that's what he does. I have no question about whether or not Brendan Donovan was eventually going to start taking his walks because it's what he does. That's who he profiles as as a player. The pitching is the same thing to me. These guys are eventually going to be okay. They pitched a lot of contact. It's not going to change. Nobody should have expected it to change going into this season because we know who these pitchers are. I'm not telling you that it's going to be great. I do think that they need to improve the front end of their rotation. But I'm saying that this freaking out, this... The sky is falling mentality that I've seen from a certain portion of the text line and on Twitter and on social media in general. Man, let's all take a deep breath. This team is pretty damn good. The offense is awesome. The bullpen's been better than we expected, and the rotation will eventually get back on track. You know what? I'll take a deep breath, BK, when this team shows the ability to beat good teams with their pitching. And until then, don't tell me how to feel. Yeah, brother. That's what I'm saying. You moron. (laughs) Dumb weatherman. Give me your opinions. Why is your opinion the only one that matters? From the 314, BK, there's just something about your tone and voice today where I just want to hit you in the face. Amen to that. From the 618, BK, I vehemently disagree with you. From the 636, fine isn't good enough, BK. You're a moron. Y-O-U-R. It's okay. Yours are tough, too. (laughs) Twos are also. The fast lane is coming up next, and I wanted to finish the show again with the way that we started it. I feel like we need to listen to Anthony Stalter one more time. Absolutely. Because we gave our thoughts on the rotation. Why don't we go ahead and check in with Anthony Stalter to see how he's feeling about the Cardinals rotation this year, what they've done. And let's be honest, the fast lane doesn't talk about it enough. We've had the same conversation. You're tired of us talking about O'Neal, but you're not tired of us talking about the starting pitching, which we talk about all the time. But then you're like, well, you guys don't talk about it. Pick the bleeping topic, guys. What, what do you want us to talk about? Talk about whatever you want. Oh, the, you, you talk about they don't have pitching. We know. <laughs> we know. 
<laughs> you know what I want to know about? How, nobody's talking about it. This pitching staff's not good enough. <laughs> really? What evidence do you have? Is it the fact that you're 29th in ERA? Is that bad? You know, it's something I thought about, guys, that you didn't. They don't have pitching. <laughs> oh, Jamie, did you realize a Cardinals starting staff sucks? <laughs> I didn't. We'll see if they have the balls to talk about the rotation today here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.